You're listening to the Sauropod. I'm Justin Zeppa. And I'm Aaron Bales. And this is Van Splanen. Okay, okay. So, Aaron, Eddie comes on stage and he's like, Okay. Okay, but then he's all like, Right. Okay, but then he's like, Taken out of the context of the band, it's definitely not as exciting. Okay, but then he's like, Okay. Oh, I knew we'd get there. You're listening to the mighty Van Splainer. And the crowd's just like, oh, Eddie, 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 Eddie. They're just chanting. Oh, okay. Oh, she just man. feel the energy in that room. In the, in the room with all the chanting? Oh, yeah, in the, in the, the barn, oh, wherever, yeah, it's, wherever they are. It's electric. Night. Yeah. Um, where do you think they are at that point? Do you think they're in like the cow palace or something like that? Or No, no, I think they're bigger at that point. I think it's Sao Paulo. Oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Crowds of up to upwards of 60,000 people, maybe? Oh, yeah. Something like that? Easily. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Aaron, it's you. And hey, it's, it's us. It's you, buddy. Yeah, we're here yeah. with Van Splanen. And this is, I'll tell you what, Aaron, they told us that we couldn't do it. And we were like, just give it a minute, you know. You remember we can when, figure you out remember when they said it wasn't going to happen? Yeah. Remember? They said that a lot. They said that for yeah. two and a half years, I believe. That you remember when they doubted us? They did. And then, yeah. they, well, then they said that we wouldn't do it. And we're like, we're going to do yeah. it. We're going to do it. Yeah. You remember Remember when they said they're going to keep us apart? Yeah. And we said, you'll never, you'll never do such a thing. And yeah, like, we've proven them wrong. But they, then they said... They shouldn't do it. And I thought that was just like one step too far. I thought that Press was a little over the top. Yeah. <laughs> but we're here. It's Van Splanen or the cultural importance of Edward Van Halen, uh, in which we, it's a celebration, Aaron, of uh, the guitar stylings of Edward Van Halen, the greatest rock and roll guitarist of all the times, or so I will lead you to believe. And that's me, Allegedly. Justin Zeppa. Yeah, allegedly. And that's a fact that it's just alleged at this point. You but it's know, also a fact that it is alleged. Right, exactly. I mean, it's and not that, like no one's alleging that I'm the greatest guitar player of all time, rock and roll or otherwise. That's a that's but a fact that no... <laughs> it is a fact that people allege that about Edward. Right. So that we can put down as, we should take that as red. Like that is, that's our starting point. And we're going to go from there. And I'm going to convince you... Hey! Aaron Ronaldo Bales, <laughs> he's back. <laughs> he's surviving you know, the current situation. You remember, when, you remember when they said that an ocean would keep us apart, and they didn't know that that love for the search for truth and learning. Aaron, we've got to love all that oceans. It crosses oceans of time, is what we've done, <laughs> and oceans of water too, like just actual yeah. oceans. And that's the situation we find ourselves with, in with ice. Right. Yeah. And, um, Yes, yeah. I'm reporting to you live from the land of ice and fire, Iceland, yeah. and Aaron is reporting to you live from <laughs> our nation's Michigan's capital, Lansing, uh, Michigan. Yeah. Lansing, Michigan. Home to uh, Confederate flag-bearing protesters. <laughs> 
yelling at everybody. We probably uh, will con- cut this out, but Aaron, what the fuck is going on over there? I know, right? Confederate mask wearing legislators i don't know if you saw that one <laughs> um yes i did i did hear <laughs> about that <laughs> and i'm also hearing uh you know it's only one it was one guy with one confederate flag i was like yeah eh, that might be one one too many i'm gonna say mm-hmm. so knock it off yeah, you guys you guys know about icebergs up there we do in iceland you know yeah, you sure you see the tip there's more beneath the surface oh you got that right just yeah. the tip if, if you please <laughs> Do do you feel like you have, are you a missionary of sorts as far as the gospel of Edward Van Halen? Or do you feel like this is, uh, this is friendly territory for that? You mean over here in this, this land? Yeah. I, yeah. I'll tell you what, I think, I, I think I might be a missionary over here because okay. uh, I think what I've learned about this is a gross generalization. I'm going to make it anyway, though. This is our show. We can do whatever we want to do, right? You're, you remember when they brothers. said we couldn't? Yeah. You're, <laughs> I, I recall. Remember that? Yeah. They said we wouldn't, and they said we shouldn't. <laughs> we said, fuck it. Well, let's plug, plug the thing in. We have all the, the sounds. We have them right here. Yeah. We've got yeah. the internet. Aaron's got a phone. We've got microphones. That, uh, that means we're qualified broadcasters uh, for all intents exactly. and purposes. Yeah. Overqualified in some, some respects. Definitely. No doubt about it. But I will say that what I've learned about European music and European tastes in uh, musical activities, it's got no soul, my friend. There's no mm-hmm. soul. It's very... So, uh, seems like good, good uh, fertile breeding ground for Van Halen fans. Uh, well, I mean, uh, I need to <laughs> burn. Wow. They're just coming hot right out of the gate. Wow. Aaron, you're going to need some convincing, and I think this is the show to do it on. This is the whole purpose of the show, is I'm going to no, that's, that's convince just, Aaron. That was just, just low-hanging fruit. I had to You had, had to, to take it. Yeah, I would be. Uh, no. I would have shut it down if you hadn't taken it, So, but I'm glad, I'm glad I mean, you did. I, and I'd have to, to be honest, I'd have to break rule number one to really get into that conversation, at least based on what I read in Van Halen Rising, how Southern California Backyard Party Band saved heavy metal. Oh, written that, by Greg Renoff. Greg Renoff. It's a classic, folks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm. I'm learning. I'm. I'm committed. So this is the the volume that I think I dropped off with you two and a half years ago, the last time we recorded, and you've That's been digging correct. into it, right? You've been getting into some of the the roots That's, of the band. Yeah, it's a little shutdown, shutdown, lockdown reading. It's perfect for, sure. for that. Now, do we need to remind listeners about rule number one? Well, rule number one. I think we can both agree because I think we've already discussed it is the thing that we talk about here is we are reframing the context of Edward Van Halen's music, his ability, his virtuosity, his compositional skills. And we are kicking out the main <laughs> narrative that society has decided is this is what we think of when we think of Van Halen. Which are the lead singers. We don't talk about the lead singers on this show, do we? Nope. We, we've said enough is enough. That being said, this does happen to be the episode where we're going to have to talk about the lead singers for, for a hot minute. This is a big, big Gary Sharon moment? No, it's not quite. Not quite. That'll okay. be down the road. I'm not sure how we're going to handle that one. That's going to be... 
interesting. But right now, it's it's the first big one, the original sin, as it were, where we're going to be <laughs> checking out a period of time where a baton is passed from one lead singer to another. Oh, interesting. It's a very special time, and it's important in the context of the story of Eddie Van Halen's music because the music uh, does change along with that baton toss. So, yeah. Or, or does it? I don't know. We're going to find out. But look, we've got more. We got plenty of more small talk. We do lots of detouring on this show, ladies and gentlemen. If you have not listened to this before, and it's weird to think that those original episodes were 10, 11, 12, I think, and we're in the, the 50s or 60s at this point. So, oh, as far as on the on the sauropod, the full sauropod, yeah, stream. So compendium, yeah. Uh-huh. But never okay. let never if if I've made cover art for a show, we're not going to let it die. That's the, the rule <laughs> of the games here. So we <laughs> we got the gang back together, and we're going to rock out for a hot minute. So before we get into the small talk, because we got a lot of old business to take care of, I want to I want to bring you some rock, Aaron. I want to put you in the right rocking frame of mind. Are are you ready for that? I look right now like the guy from the Maxell, however you pronounce it, ad. I'm sitting in my easy chair. I have my oh. scarf. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The um, audience is listening is what you're telling me. Yeah, I'm, it, I'm anticipating eagerly. Okay. This is fantastic. So what I want you to do, we're going to engage in a little bit of uh, mental time traveling here. Now for uh Wait, new, we're not actually listeners. using the... We're not using the actual time machine. Right. The show does have a rock and roll time machine. This is, I'm going to, we're not going to use it right this second because we are going to be using it quite a lot today. Good. I'm going to go take my Dramamine now. I think that's wise. If you got one of those patches you can put behind your ear, that might be a a good idea. So you can get a steady flow. And on the wrist. I have a couple that, that, oh, you you, you double pressure points. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. Brings a whole new uh, (laughs) angle on the concept of pulse pounding, right? It's just topical drugs, my friend but right now i'm going to ask you to use the time machine of your mind your imagination and i want you to put yourself in a certain place in time and that place is mongolia and that time is the early 13th century and you are a member of chinggis khan's mongol horde mongol horde do i do i know what's coming for us i mean am i anticipating the well conquest of the known world yeah i mean there's going to be a battle probably it's uh, it's dawn. You've packed up your uh-huh. your yurt. You have. Uh, I'm on horseback. I assume. Yeah, yeah. You've slipped in, into your your toughened leather armor, and you've got your mm-hmm. your uh, quiver is full of arrows, and you got your bow, yep. and you've you know you've uh, mounted your steed, and you're going to be racing across the Gobi Plains, those those sweet oh, rolling grassy plains yeah. of of Mongolia, and you're probably invading China. Is is what I think is what's uh, on the menu for your day back then in the early 13th mm-hmm. century. Now, you, Aaron Bales, you have been to China. You spent some time in China, correct? I did, in fact. Yeah, twice. Let me ask you this. D- knowing the Chinese people as you now do, do you feel like somewhere in the back of their mind, their cultural consciousness, that they're concerned that the Mongols are going to someday do it again? Yeah, right. Is there is there a a collective oh like epigenetic sort of memory of of that yeah, yeah. like passed down uh yeah like genomically our, do, they, do they view yeah at a at a subcellular level do they do they still worry about terror from the north yeah i mean i, I don't they know but that can wall. you blame them if they did 
You know, they, they were so concerned about it that they built that big ass wall that stands today. And that wall, I, I walked on that wall. It is how good is it? The section I went to was truly, truly impressive. I believe it. It was one of those rare situations where it was sort of like the opposite of Mount Rushmore, <laughs> where you, you know, like Mount Rushmore was cool, but it just, in my mind, it was going to be a lot cooler. Wow, there's a there's a huge shot at Mount Mount Rushmore. No, just yeah, I mean, Mount Rushmore is great. Flame just, throwing. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's fine. It's a great monument. It's a great. Yeah, uh, great, yeah. Sure, <laughs> if, you're, if you're into that sort of thing, I suppose. No, I, I see where you're coming but, from. It's probably smaller boy, that, than your your imagination would lead you to believe. Yeah, well, you're not as you're not as close as you think you're going to be. I mean, uh, and I hadn't even seen National Treasure at that point, so. Imagine, oh, imagine so you didn't get into the hidden chamber with the uh, right. that whole complex. Can, can you imagine how disappointed it'd be were you to watch National Treasure first? Yeah. <laughs> and you're you're um, out there um, and, spattering water on rocks looking for the hidden <laughs> eagle or whatever they yeah. do. There's <laughs> this fucking eagle. <laughs> but yeah, the, the Great Wall was the section I went, which was close to Beijing, was bigger higher up wider than i had anticipated it was yeah really impressive probably for the the mongols or whoever it was impressive on both sides like after they went around it or whatever you know like man that was you guys worked really hard on that this is now that i'm standing on top of this looking down yeah this would have been a big deterrent had we (laughs) right but the Mongols really deal with it in a, in a clever fashion. They just build some ladders. Is that it? Yeah, I, I can't I think even remember that was the how, deal. That, yeah. how that happened. Well, so this is you, Aaron Bales, out there, back part of the Mon- Mongolian horde. Uh, this is the soundtrack you're going to be listening to as you trot your pony toward China. You're invading. Are you ready for this? Ready. It's a little number I like to call Somebody Get Me a Doctor from Van Halen's second album, <laughs> 1979. Dig it! Talk about riffs, Aaron. That's a riff. That's a riff and a half. You better call me a doctor. Feeling no pain. Solo Ed's guitar a little bit here. One verse. And then let's, you know what, let's take it right to the guitar solo, huh? Oh, my God. 
applause from the band. All right, now hold up. We're just to pause this for a second. Now we're having a great okay. time. We're listening to Somebody Get Me a Doctor. It's uh, track. I haven't heard that one before. It's track three off the second record, I think. I mean, it's a heavy classic. Got all the trappings of your vintage Van Halen sound, right? All the things yeah, going for it. Ed, Edward is uh, he's taking care of business there, isn't he? Oh, he's right in the pocket. He's grooving. It's it, almost you know? like when when Dave comes in, it's like, oh, okay, let's just let's get We're through this. this. We can get back to the <laughs> exactly, uh, yeah. Uh, so, what's going to happen next, though, is something that blue guitar players minds when this was released you know edward and his new guitar sounds the first record we have eruption of course the the tapping right. which people yeah. were were like what is that sound what is this it's got to be a keyboard or something like that but it's it's the man in the guitar so you'll see in these early albums especially that he's developed just inventing new techniques to make new noises and that is what we're going to run into here uh check it Right about here. What the fuck even is that? Somebody get me a doctor after was, hearing that tune. Was that a combination of a pick slide while tapping or something? So what that is, and what we're talking about here is what I'm, I'm going like to call that descending waterfall of cascading something notes. God, right? I couldn't have put it better myself. I'm 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 going to refer to this as the Eddie Van Halen drip and drab. Let's. Okay. <laughs> So, <laughs> so what he's doing is is he's doing a a series of pull-offs really okay. really fast at the wow. uh at the low end of the neck and while he's doing that he's lightly brushing his pick hand on the string and moving it upwards so that it makes this like muted harmonic sound and then the pitch of the harmonic changes as he moves his picking hand up the string like who wow. thinks like that when you're Eddie Van Halen, it's just, it's what you do. It's what you do. <laughs> and he just zooms right back into that riff. Oh, it's so Whoa. heavy. <laughs> um, any, th any thoughts on that? How are you feeling about somebody get me a doctor? Yeah, I mean, that's, so that's, it's an interesting one because it would never be a thing on the radio necessarily, right? As far as like, I mean, not never, but you know, there's, it's, that's a fun one. It's got good riff and all that, but it's as a song, like I bet, it, I bet it, I'd be surprised if it did lots of charting. Yeah, you know? no, I don't think it's a hit single. That's for sure. Yeah. But it rocks but as hard as say, uh, like an ACDC song, but it's, it's faster too. You know, you're adding the, right. the speed element to it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it does, definitely has all those classic Van Halen elements. Old Michael Anthony comes in with the, and I don't know who else sings on those. 
because it seems bigger than two people on the harmonies. But I think uh, Ed- Edward also does does backing harmonies. Okay, typically. Uh, I'm okay. not sure how how hot his mic is when when they do it live, <laughs> right, yeah. but uh, they, I do, do know. Do they put him on like the Robbie Robertson program? Oh yeah, where it just keep it unplugged, maybe. Or, right, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Still remember uh, that that bit in the uh, Levon Helm book about Robbie is the cords in his neck standing out as he <laughs> as he sings manfully or something like that into the <laughs> howls out to no mic. one <laughs> yeah right <laughs> um somebody gave me a doctor now when after dave left this as, as was the case with most of that first era of the first six albums they just stopped playing most of it so but this mm-hmm. was a this was a concert favorite as you can imagine i mean if you're gonna get oh yeah sure a room full of people pumped up this yeah. is the way to do it and they brought it they back six the, six albums with dave they did six albums they call in, in wow. amongst uh nerdy van halen fans that those are called the six pack okay sure and in sure, my opinion <laughs> And in my opinion, the first four are really the ones that you want. The first four are Van Halen 1, Van Halen 2, Women and Children First, and Fair Warning. Those four records are their own genre of music, in a way, that just uh, sounds not like a, nothing so else. Diver Down is one that's... And then we get to Diver Down, Dancing in the Streets, Pretty Woman, all that shit. Okay. <laughs> and then we go into 1984, which certainly has its moments, but I think the worm has turned at that point, and you're getting interesting. You're getting Cynthia. You're getting I'll Wait. Not, never a yeah. favorite of mine. Uh, okay. So you. Okay, so I, I I see. I'm tasting that flavor. That being said, 1984 does have uh, Girl Gone Bad, which is one of my all-time favorite. Could be a top ten. Uh, mm-hmm. Mean Streets, as we've already... No, not Mean Streets. I'm sorry. Uh, House of Pain, as we discussed last yep. episode, yep. all those years ago. And uh, Hot for Teacher, that's a keeper. I'll, I'll listen to Hot for Teacher over Panama, which is also on there. But mm-hmm. never, really never need to listen to Panama ever again. It is... Uh, no, okay. It's, it's everywhere all, right, so, all the time. So what if you were to remove Dave from Panama? Yeah, so then you've like got the- just a hot riff mm-hmm. and uh, some some tribal drumming. In, mm-hmm. the, in the fashion we're, we're accustomed to with with alex van halen big al van halen yeah, yeah. and that's about it right yeah it's, it's, it's got a nice groove it's cool it it's does. fine yeah it's uh but i think maybe it's the just the, the saturation effect comes into mm-hmm. play with that particular one so yeah even after dave left the band that was one that stayed in the set list because that you know van halen knows that well, you still got to play the hit so even oh yeah sure with, with no matter who the lead singer is we are closing with jump and we're throwing panama and ain't talking about love in there and probably mm-hmm. you know you're going to get those that's kind of that's they play that most of the time i would say where that makes that makes sense but they also did get me a doctor they kept that one in well in that the one came back sometimes. in the glorious year of our lord 1998 with mr uh gerald sharon at the helm okay when okay. he decides you know i want to play anything what i like i love all this music i'll play all yeah, of what it. do you want to do fellas right so he he yeah. brings back you know we start hearing things that we hadn't heard in years and years and years and it was not a bad set list honestly and so at this point though somebody get me a doctor michael anthony takes over on lead vocals oh okay and that becomes a bit in the show that carries on even when sammy comes back in the dreaded 2004 reunion 
situation, which is the kindest way I can think of to put that debacle. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so 1998, even, you're in the city. 1998? No, 1998. I'm in high school in Howell, Michigan. Oh yeah, you are. I'm I'm at college. You're not yet. Okay. Yeah, it was, right, I was a, I was a junior in high school, and I was really excited. I mean, obviously, one of my favorite bands. I think it was the 2004 tour that part of the uh, stage performance was Michael Anthony does lead vocals on "Somebody Get Me a Doctor," and at the end of it, Sammy Hagar ushers out a a buxom nurse. With a, a serving tray filled with Jack Daniels shots, and I think that's every you know, it's, it's just drinks all around for that that side of the stage. Right, and all, right. and you look around and you're like, I'm at a fucking Van Halen show. All right, all right. I'm at like, Cabo. No, I'm at the right. Palace of Auburn Hills. It's crazy. Well, yeah. So, so are they are are they serving Jack or are they serving? Uh... Mm. Cabo Wabo. That's that's a fair question because you would think one would think that Cabo Wabo tequila would be on the menu, but this became a bone of contention. Oh, I'm sure actually because yeah, with the reunion and uh, yeah. the brothers didn't like it, and uh, egos cannot handle that. Oh, dude, it was. I think it was written in the contract, if I'm not mistaken. And okay. Sammy couldn't wear the T-shirt, so he got a Cabo Wabo tattoo instead. Some petty fucking bullshit, right? You know? Um. But that oh, was the I, situation I, there. Don't don't bring up if you run into the the VH bros. Do not bring up that that fucking tequila to them. They are not interested. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> they don't want. It. Yeah, I heard an uh, interview with Sammy uh, Lance Armstrong interviewed him, and they had the story of Livestrong. How that? You too. Yeah. Right. Same to you. Thank, yeah. I'm just <laughs> so. Yeah. He. He is, he's a really, actually, he's, an, he's a really interesting interviewer because he can't help but be, like, he tries not to be part of the story, but, you know, it's like, it's when you're that Lance big Armstrong. of a figure. He's yeah. a character, yeah. But it, he's he's very genuinely curious, you can tell, in, in a way that he asks good questions and listens, and it's, mm -hmm. you know, like some people, like, I feel like, Stern talks more than his guests on the clips I see. Sometimes, like, what if, if you're going to ask people to be on your show, why don't you let them talk? Agreed. Yeah. He, I saw him recently. I think uh, McCartney was on a couple weeks back before that big around the world from home. Oh, yeah. Together right. at home show or whatever. And Paul had called in and he's basically just projecting what he wants from Paul McCartney onto Paul McCartney. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, don't He's, you think that blah 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 blah? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, at this oh, point, wait, you, are you sure you and John aren't even talking to each other? Like you hate each other at this point, right? right. It's like, what uh, is that? What you need from me? <laughs> right. Just, just tell me what I'm supposed to say. Send me a script. I'll follow it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're already starting with Paul McCartney, who only has about 60 stories that he cycles through on all of these interviews. <laughs> so we got a limited pool at this point. Like and he tells them all the same way every single time. It's the, it's the weirdest, dude. It's the weirdest thing. So okay, detour as we do on uh -huh. Van Splanen or the Bird cultural walk. significance and importance of Edward Van Halen. Uh, Paul McCartney. I was watching him. I was watching the what's called the director's cut of the Beatles anthology on the okay. YouTube's recently. And it's only the, they only have one, one episode, the first episode. And 
I know the Beatles anthology, the actual official release, like the back of my hand. I've watched it a billion times. I know all the stories and how they tell them. And it's weird to watch a different interview for the same project where Paul tells the exact same story, the exact same way, (laughs) with like the same beats and the same pauses and Uh the same inflection and everything. It's like identical. The only thing that's different is it's a different interview. And my (sighs) theory is that in this interview of the director's cut, where he's telling these stories the first time, he's seated in this really low armchair and it makes him look kind of like a little boy. Like the, the armchair is overtaking okay. him and yeah. his knees yeah. are kind of high and it's not a good <laughs> right. look, you know? Like so, are your feet touching the ground there, pal? Yeah, exactly. Right. It looks like he's, he's one step away from Santa's lap, you know? So I think what happened was he got to look at this footage and was like, no, we can't, we can't do that. You know, I look like the chair's eating me, you know, or whatever. It's rubbish. Yeah, exactly. Insert your Paul accent here. <laughs> And just know that he wanted that reshot so he looks better. He looks cooler. And he told the exact same stories the exact same way. It's bizarre. I would love McCartney to do an AB. Like, I'll, I'll line them up sometime. program. Story 13. <laughs> right. You execute. and Stuart Sutcliffe in Hamburg, 1960. <laughs> yeah, Stu was a great guy, but we used to make him turn his back around because, you know, his fingers would be on the... We'd always check people's fingers to see if they were making the right chords and everything. And, you know, Stu didn't know. It's like, oh, my God. And he does this exact same thing the same way, knowing where, like, where the laugh line is, you know, waiting for I the audience pop. I didn't know you had such a good McCartney. That's, oh, thanks. Um, <laughs> hidden talents there. You know, me and Jules, we used to we used to go get on the bus, go across town, and, you know, we knew this bloke. He knew, he knew B7. And we, you know, show us B7. He shows ding, 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 ding. You know, B7, we get back on the bus, you know, go back across town, show the other guys B7, ding, 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 ding. Got it. And he says it the same way every time. <laughs> so, all right. So, somebody get me a doctor. We've got the old Eddie Van Halen, Dr. Drip and Drug. So, that, that could show up at any given moment. He's, he starts incorporating that all over the place. I think it actually shows up in the first track of that record, which is their cover of You're No Good. And it, it shows up over the years, but it's a good one. So, we'll stick that into our gallery of greatness along with uh, the the hot leads of I'm the One. The uh, heavy riffing of House of Pain. And the pick slide of Michael Jackson's Beat It. So we've got them all now. It's just good to have, have them available if we need them, yeah. you know? Uh, now so let's re- if I need to if I need to kill a dragon, there's only one of those I'm going to use. Is it this one? I don't think so. I think that's I think that's what the dragon's trying to do to me. Oh, okay. Which Shoot one do you want to use? If I'm going to if I'm going to drive a, a stake through Dracula's heart, you're going <laughs> to. That <one? laughs> yeah, that's, that's the one. Could be the greatest pick slide ever. Could be. Oh, it's that's debatable. the one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, all right. There. Now we got everybody in a rocking state of mind. Now it's time to grind the show to a halt and talk about old business. So, Aaron, okay. when you last left our program. So, uh, it appears, and I'm not going to look too closely, but mm-hmm. just for the viewer at home, you have some show notes. I've got a ton. Of, I've got three pages of show notes. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> Let me get comfortable. Yeah. Right. Settle in. When we last left ourselves. On February 3rd, you claimed. <laughs> it is. It's, we're bordering on deposition at this point. Okay. Is your attorney with you? I told you, you should have one if you feel like you need one. Yeah. Yeah, have representation. Uh, when we left off, Kyrie Irving had been traded to the Boston Celtics. Oh, and wow. his 2017-2018 season ended, ended in the spring due to a mildly invasive surgery. I think it was the knee, probably. He's always got issues, Kyrie. Uh, yeah. 2018-2019 season, he flamed out in the playoffs after sweeping the Pacers and lost to the Bucks, I believe, in the conference semis uh, in a 1-4 to series. And then he took his divisive talents to Brooklyn, where he will be joining up with the recovering Kevin Durant, uh, creating an atmosphere of maximum drama. I'm sure we're all waiting for that. And oh, in yeah. February, in February of this year, before the COVID shutdown of 2020, it was announced that he was having season-ending shoulder surgery, and then the season was canceled. So that's where we are with Kyrie. Any any thoughts on Kyrie? No, just yeah, curious to see him and Durant once once that happens. See what's what can Durant still do? Which I assume is a lot, but yeah, he's one know, of the. I mean, he one, can, he's an all timer. Yeah, I mean, but even even if he doesn't get back that athleticism, you know, what's what's the worst case scenario? The worst case scenario is he's a deadly shooter still, right? Yeah, I mean, they can so, shoot over lots of people, right? So he's he's still uh, twenty feet tall, and he's still yeah. he's still got the best mid range jumper in the game, and. Just get the ball to him, and he doesn't have to go anywhere. Don't you don't have to use right. your legs? Just pop up there, stick it in. And uh, the only issue I can foresee is that both of these guys love the spotlight. They're both out to carve a place for themselves in the edifice of basketball time. Yeah, and they're going to probably butt heads because it's going to be a lot of drama. They're high drama guys. What a bunch of butt heads! Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Moving right along. Last time we left our program. Taylor Swift was on the precipice of releasing her controversial album, her sixth studio album, Reputation. I, all right, so here's my only comment on that. All right, give it. Is I actually found myself in the unusual position. Uh, I, was, I was with a friend and watching, we watched the, there's like a Netflix documentary or something. Oh, so I actually- yeah. Okay. So I actually, I actually saw most of that Taylor Swift documentary. It was interesting. I'm sure it was. Yeah. Do you have any, yeah, any like, takeaways? Well, I, the most interesting part to me was seeing seeing her in the studio with I don't know whatever Spengali guy she was. I I forget. Was it like was it a Max Martin sort of guy? Probably not exactly. Yeah, I think I, I think know, he's someone. around. Shellback, I think, is involved. Whoever that okay. is, the dude from Fun. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah, um, but yeah, they, she was. It made me realize that she is contributing a lot to that process. It's not. It's not a situation where they they bring the talent in and all right, this is what you're doing, and they yeah. knock it out and read their right. lines or whatever. I mean, it, it's. It seemed it seemed very collaborative, and that she had lots of input. So I would imagine so. Uh, it seemed like it was a very effectively done presentation, as as far as like what she wanted to portray was portrayed effectively. Yes, everything I've heard from her has been about she's very 
conscious of her image in a in a good way where she's mm-hmm. she's just self-aware and i think I've, i remember her being quoted as, as saying like she used to watch all of the old vh1 behind the musics and would like sort of note in her mind like okay so note to self don't get hooked on crack cocaine <laughs> right. uh, after the third album you know yeah. keep it keep it till later and you know we're still waiting for that phase it'll be interesting when that happens um but i think she's uh she seems very, very clever and very uh she knows what she's doing and how to reach her audience and that record reputation i th- i thought it was great it was kind of a kind of a flop with the fans i think i could be wrong about that i have no idea what what tay tay fans think but uh, it had some good bangers. It was good for the gym. Was, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, good for the treadmill. It does yeah, feature I mean, Ed Sheeran rapping on it. So just buy it. <laughs> <Does it? laughs> oh, what, what would it be like to be Ed Sheeran? There, there are a couple I, of those guys where I'm like, you know, you're just, you got to be on cloud nine if you're Ed Sheeran. Like, I think he's living his best life. Is, yeah. Exactly. Like, this is, this is how I look. And, you know. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go out and do what seems, you know, I, I feel like that sometimes with Dave Grohl in a little bit of a different way. Wow. Ooh. Okay. Like how, f- how fun to be Dave Grohl. Like you have, you have that Nirvana cred, you've got Foo Fighters money. Anytime you need to tap it, probably Nirvana money too, but you know, you can, if, if for whatever reason you are in need, you can print more money by going out and doing that yeah at the very least you know, he's, he's got enough in the in the bank where he could greatest hits it or something like that if he needs oh, to yeah. yeah yeah and he's and i think he i think he just has a lot of fun like we're gonna what was the one i saw them doing they did uh i think maybe at the rock and roll hall of fame ceremony they played a rush song or something you know yes they, they played like, a 2112 overture yeah like what am, what am i gonna do for fun i i feel like there's a little bit of that with tim armstrong and the the uh tim time bomb stuff yeah like, they've got a sort of house money attitude sort of like i've yeah. already um, my name's already been put down where it needs to be and i can kind of do whatever i want to do yeah like and, what do i feel like doing oh how about we go in the studio and do a we're gonna do a, a tim time bomb cover of doug Sam's texas tornado all right who do i know that can play on this <laughs> hey guys come over we're gonna like I do that sort of thing. I'm just gonna. What's a song I want to play today? Right. Except he has the ability to, you know, record it and pop it out and get some clicks on it and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. whatever. Like that's yeah, it's cool. Did you hear his song that he did in a group? I think they're just called the Armstrongs. It was him, Billy Joe Armstrong of Green Day, and then Billy Joe's son did a song together. Oh no. Oh, that's cool. And it's kind of like, uh, it was around the, the election time. So it's sort of, uh, rally the troops kind of thing mm-hmm. uh, called if there was ever a time, I think is what it's called. It's good though. It's it's a good rocker. Uh, it must be nice when you're like, yeah, I've got, you know, my first band was really influential operation Ivy. Mm-hmm. And then my second band was very, uh, financially lucrative and I did it my way. Just like, just like Sinatra. Yep. And then, <laughs> yeah. and then my Old buddy, uh, the guy who I was almost in a band with happens to be in Green Day, which is arguably, you know, one of the largest bands in the, in the U S anyway. 
Yeah. And I can just call him up and we can just do stuff because we got nothing going on. Just sit around and, and rock out. So yeah, it's, it's a good deal. So they, I, they, they go back to the Bay area as far as, Operation Ivy days or what? Yeah. Operation Ivy was, was very influential for a young Billy Joe. And that's okay. kind of what made them want to start being in a band. And then by the time they had their band together early, early Green Day, the, uh, Tim and Matt were doing, were starting Rancid and they were going to do Billy Joe as like Lars's guitar part, basically. Oh, interesting. Uh -huh. At that point, Green Day had already kind of, they were on the rise. They had some heat. Yeah. And then very nicely, once Green Day got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame a few years back, they did invited. They? Yeah, they did. Oh, uh, I, didn't know that. Wow. I, I didn't either till, till a few months what? ago when I watched I watched a concert oh. they did the night before at the House of Blues somewhere, probably, I think Cleveland. Uh -huh. And then they, they had brought Tim out there with them. And he came out and he did uh, knowledge off of the first Op Ivy record, the first and only Op Ivy record. Oh, interesting! And, he got, and they gave him a shout out during the, their induction speech and everything. So it was very nice. Yeah, what a punk roots. What an interesting call. Let's get back to the main topic at hand. Taylor Swift. Kyrie she she redeemed her. <laughs> she redeemed herself with Lover last year, which uh, was a return to form allegedly, but really was just kind of more of the same, as far as I'm concerned. Which is Taylor Swift puts out half of a really good good record, and the rest of it is uh, for somebody else. Not not for me. Go figure. Go figure. Right. Uh, other old business. Now before. Okay, so I had great designs of going back and listening to our previous three episodes, which adds up to a full like five, six hours of content somehow because again, relaxed fit. This is the elastic in the waistband show on the sauropod. <laughs> Uh, but I, so I, I didn't do it though. I, who's got the time, right? Uh, right. didn't go back and listen to it. But what I do recall is a couple of things we were talking about, which is we were talking about Eddie Van Halen's three T's matrix of guitar success that we had, and we had isolated tone and technique as being the first two. And then we couldn't figure out the Tapping. third one. Tapping possibly. I think we had talked about tremolo too, but I, I finally technique. Finally, no, te technique is number two. Okay. So tone technique. But and he's the third so into technique. What if you just repeat technique? Technique again? That's how good yeah. he is? <laughs> it's <laughs> important. It's foundational. Tone, technique, and timing. Okay. That's my little joke I, see, there. I wasn't sure if you had one or not. I was, no, yeah, well, I I was going to... I was going to do my candy and I'm, I'm going to let you finish, but uh -huh. I appreciate it. I appreciate the room, the real estate. That's what I need. <laughs> More space, timing. tone, yep. technique, and timing. I think that that's, okay. that's it. Those are the, the things you put them all together and it creates this beautiful jambalaya. Edward soup. Yes. And we were also talking about, we were referring to the sort of less exciting solos that come about. I think we were talking about jump at the time where it's sort of like, ah, oh, okay, this is, we're running through techniques rather than, a full idea. So it's sort of like we were referring to it as stock, but I've got a new term for it. And we're going to call okay. this, this type of solo, the ambassador solo. It's sort of like, Oh, it's the ambassador. Like, here's what, a, hi, here's I'm a Eddie sample of some of my 
gifts for you. Right. This is this is what I do, and I'm just going to kind of rattle them off in uh, quick succession. It's going to make sense. It's going to sound great, but really, this is. Uh, I'm going to do some fast picking. I'm going to do some some tapping. I'm going to do uh, some quick scales up, and then I'm going to do some trem picking until we get to that 20 second fret because the song's probably an E, you know, and that's okay. where that that's where we're going to be. And so we're going to call that solo the ambassador. Now, if you want. An example of a non-ambassador solo. I think the somebody get me a doctor solo is very nice in that it has a very cohesive, uh, planned thing to it. It's not just off the cuff, right? So, right, yeah. Let's 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 check out that solo one more time. Doing those volume swells live. Ooh, that's good. Is that feedback creeping in at the end there? Nice. Yeah. And the, the, the key changes there? Uh, yeah. Yeah. At the end when he's sort of walking it up. Yeah. And, there, and there's even that one that's, it's almost like the, uh, the Panama key change sort of, I don't know if it's a key change or just a chord change, but. There's, there's, have to, but there's certainly a change that he, yeah, he, hits, he hits the chord change. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's a great example of of a nice melodic idea being applied to a solo with, with all of the, the flash you've come to know and expect and love. And right. That's, that's a good one. Um, so, all right. I think, I think that's the end of old business. Are you ready to get into today's episode? <laughs> <laughs> We've only been going an hour. So this is, this is a good pace for us at this point. As previously indicated, we have to discuss this issue of the lead singers just because it does apply to the music. And we're, I mean, we're mainly focused on the music. Obviously, if you've been listening the last hour or so, that's all it's we're talking about. Music. Yeah, I mean, it's sure. been entirely focused on the music. So yeah. we know the situation at this point. When we left off, it was 1984 and we're uh, top of the world, right? We got Jump's a huge hit, huge world tour. And Van Halen is, for all intents and purposes, the biggest band in the land. And if you go back and you look at the charts for that year of 1984, it's basically Beat It, uh, Purple Rain, and I think the Footloose soundtrack, and then okay. 1984. Like the, those kind of rule the day at that time period. So Van Halen's rocking Edwards, the hardest. Edward's got his fingers in two of those pies. He does, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. man. No need for a second job for that guy. I think he's doing mm -hmm. all right. Although he didn't, I don't think he got paid for that that one somehow. That, that's right. There's there's something about that, right? Some something about it. Yeah, I think he, he just did it. I don't know. We'll have to go back and listen to that previous episode. One yeah. of these days, we'll get around to it. But so at this point, though, we've got David Lee Roth is the lead singer of Van Halen the band, if not Van Halen the man, uh, and. <laughs> So we we all kind of know David Lee Roth. Nickname is Diamond Dave. That sort of sums it up right there. And 
by the time we get to the end of the 1984 tour, things are kind of ragged within the band itself and their relationships. But there has been some lead up to this. This is not like a brand new thing. There's just sort of like a general disconnect that happens between the musicians of the band and David Lee Roth. And it starts... um, it starts pretty deep. I mean, originally, I mean, you you're reading Van Halen Rising. Oh, by I, our I was going to say, I mean, Ruff, it, right? it goes it goes back to when David Lee Roth was in a you know competing, as it were, band in that like Red, what, Red Ball Jets. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Santa Monica is that the no Santa Barbara Could somewhere be. wherever they were in that in that party scene and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, didn't didn't they? He auditioned and they didn't let him in at one <laughs> they were point. Like, no, this is no, this is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he couldn't couldn't sing. Like he was, he always had that star quality. But at least this is the the narrative the book portrays. He, the actual technical ability to follow through on that was needed developing. Yeah, uh, especially in the context of playing with junior prodigies, your your Van yeah. Halen bros who were both really into that's all they did was play music, and then you kind of like shimmy your way in and your yeah, your but they didn't, they didn't have the they didn't have the the pizzazz like they had the chops, but they they needed a little bit of, sh- of showmanship, flair, yeah. And who's who's the guy who's going to do it? Diamond Dave, right? Diamond Dave. But let's go back further. Uh, I want to. There are some cracks in the pavement, the uh, the the rock solid foundation of the house that is Van Halen at this point. So uh, there's there's some obvious clues, and I want to take you back to one of them. So if you would please uh, step inside the rock and roll time machine. Okay, all right, I'm ready. You got to buckle your safety belt. I'm not going to tell you again. This happens every okay. time. I know, I know. All right, here we go. go okay another successful journey how's your tummy uh better than expected no travel tummy wow all right i mean uh, i'm not gonna say that but okay well I, yeah. i'll tell you what if you take a look around, breathe deep because you know we're outside take a look around and this yep, is actually yep. a spot that you're gonna know pretty well oh it's grand river avenue and oh, we are actually outside yeah uh, the Campus Town Mall of uh, downtown East Lansing, outside popular record store, flat, black, and circular. FBC, everybody. And oh, wonderful. Yeah, so you, we know this so place. So we are. Yeah, just step through the door, go up the stairs, you know, follow, follow me. Yep. And uh, right. right now, it's currently the summer of 1980, Aaron. So if you can picture yourself, I was not yet alive at this point. I think you were probably barely alive at this point. I was I was toddling around at this point. Oh, you're yeah. toddling. Look at you. Look at you. And right now you're a big boy and you're you're stepping up to the stepping up to the mic. And so we are now entering Flat Black and Circular. And it's important that we come here because we I have to buy an album with you here. We're gonna pick up a record. So we're gonna go over to the bin here and flip through and yeah, there it is, the, the new Van Halen record. This is Women and Children First. and uh, Wonderful. Yeah, so this is great. So actually what we're going to do is, because we are we have, we are imbued with the powers of time travel, um, Just if you could just sort of like tuck this into the front of your jeans and just put, put 
put your shirt over it. Just put, okay, just, we're just not. Put, we're it, we're, we're, we're not paying for this. They don't need to know. They don't need to know. And your money's okay. no good to them anyway. It looks strange. It's funny money to them. So just sort of that's <laughs> right. And step out and you get, give them a wave goodbye. We're gonna see them again in years to come. Bye. And we're just gonna go back. And we're back to present day. So congratulations. It survived. Wow, yeah, that record actually made it through the time travel process. That's you can take it back. Yes. If, if it is stuffed down your trousers, you can take things through time. <laughs> so please remove it from your trousers. And I want you to take off the, the plastic yeah, wrap. Unwrap it. Yeah, brand it's not new. A, it was important, mm-hmm. Aaron, that we went back to 1980 to pick up a copy of this rather than just download it off of iTunes or uh, play the, the crapshoot of go to a garage sale and see if they, they have a copy. Because what we're looking for in this copy of Van Halen's 1980 album, Women and Children First, only came in the first million copies of this record, which has gone platinum many times since then. So I want you to just unwrap it there and you'll, you'll find inside... Uh, there's a poster folded up, and you want to oh, take, yeah. out, no, take out the yep. poster there. Yep. Okay. And, I'm unfolding it. Yep, and it's it's six album-sized panels big, so it's a full-on wall poster, right? Yeah. And I'm no, going I'm to try to find a spot for it. Yeah, so I want you to sort of un- unwrap it there, and then just describe to the audience what you see. Oh, yeah. So I'm looking at it. I see it is one man that <laughs> yep. would have to be uh diamond dave that's i think that's the only one either have i don't know if those pants are are <laughs> plastic or pleather or if they're just painted on uh-huh. like an early version of one of those uh sports illustrated shoots oh like the yeah the, the swimsuit edition yeah. right mm-hmm. he has he has this combination of it looks like he has uh whatever the chest equivalent is of a of a wig I mean, it is it is impossible. I think that's called a thatch, Aaron. A thatch, a thatch of, yeah. of hair, yeah. He, it, that is all right. So he has abs. He's got he's got a bit of a six pack showing. He has. He's fit, no doubt about it. Well, what what would appear to be maybe a bird's nest on his chest? Yeah, again, yep. that's the thatch. You're, yeah, there's a shoulder length hair, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he is chained to a chain link fence. He is. He is. And what an interesting. <laughs> and again, we're talking a full on three foot by right. two foot poster that, for you to hang on your wall. So who's green lighting that? Well, it's a great <laughs> question, Aaron. And actually, our buddy Greg Renoff, who wrote Van Halen Rising, uh, he I'm, wrote. I'm not to this part yet. Uh, no, it's not in the book. This is an article okay. he wrote in uh, for Medium, I think, mm-hmm. where he describes this. I think this is defined as like the the same way we're defining it here, which is the cracks are starting to show. So yeah. this this particular photograph was taken by this. Uh, f- I think he was like a fashion photographer, this German guy Helmut Newton, who was really into this uh, heavy contrast black and white look, as we can see here. Mm-hmm. And he, Diamond Dave wants this guy to photograph him specifically, and he also wants to somehow roll this into the Van Halen situation. So this is actually in the backyard of Dave's house, I guess. Okay. And and so he's wearing these, as you described, these plasticky pants, 
and getting chained up and everything and and getting some photos taken and then while this is happening yeah the the rest of van halen kind of strolls in to the the backyard (laughs) to join the photo shoot which is for their new album and they're like what the fuck is going on all right boys your pants and your chains are over there right right so this is (laughs) now look i think we can admire the pants we can admire the abs we can admire the thatch we can admire the chain you know it's a that's a fresh looking chain there right you could really yeah you could tow a trailer with that chain oh yeah but i think maybe if you're a van halen fan or if you're just edward van halen this is not what you signed up for right this is (laughs) maybe not what you're looking for and i think this is a a real like maybe it's safe sane and consensual for dave but it's not consensual for the rest of the band <laughs> have this image out there for them yeah so there if you can imagine the rest of your put yourself in dave's shoes right and you've got yourself yeah. chained up in this uh german man with uh, and there are other if you read greg's article there are other photos of the day of of the band and their expressions and then pictures of this dude taking this type of picture and helmut newton he's not wearing a shirt either okay so right. you've got this strange german fashion photographer shirtless uh, sort of pear-shaped and middle-aged, and he is oh, interesting. Okay, photographing your the 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 mane, the blonde flowing mane of your kind of jag-off lead singer. And yeah, meanwhile, this is for Michael Anthony. Here's your gimp suit. Go ahead. Get yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can't see that, but Michael Anthony is wearing the gimp suit. It's just <laughs> off to the off to the left of that shot. Get Michael Anthony. Michael Anthony's sleeping. (laughs) Wake him up. Can we get his ball back in there? Thank you. (laughs) Um, So this is, uh, let's call this, uh, what do you call this? Evidence number one or? uh, Yeah, right, right. Yeah. What's what's uh, the term I'm looking for? Exhibit A. uh, Exhibit A. Exhibit A. Now, Exhibit B shows up. So this is... Early 1980, I want to say this was taken. I think you know. I think the record came out in March, so this is either early 80, late 79, when they're recording. Uh, so let's let's fast forward a couple few years. And Aaron, I think you will agree that one of the things that makes up a legendary rock band is a sort of definitive live show, right? Whether this is a, like a concert movie. Or uh, a live album, a Frampton comes alive. Yeah, Queen, sure. Live okay. leads that that sort yep. of thing. Yeah, uh, the best bands tend to have uh, a definitive portrait Seminal of their sort of their live yeah. situation, right? Yeah. Now, sometimes these happen in, in big venues. You know, you've got uh, Jimi Hendrix, right, at uh, Woodstock, huge. You know, sort of yep. epic, epic undertaking. And uh, you've got the Who at uh, Isle of Wight, six hundred thousand people yep. on the Isle of Wight. It's epic. So, if you're Van Halen and you are known throughout the industry for having the hottest chops and the loudest tunes, you got to have yourself a live situation, right? Yeah. So, Van Halen, around the time of 19, early 1983, I want to say, this is following their Diver Down tour. They've been on the road for like five years straight at this point, touring the world and elsewhere, right? And uh, conquering wherever they go, making Black Sabbath semi-retire and right. uh, making the ladies swoon and, and trashing hotel rooms left, right, and everything in between. 
And so they are ready at this point after Diver Down, which was a record we've discussed briefly that Edward was not happy to do because, again, pretty woman dancing in the streets, sort of lackluster. Happy Trails is on there as well. Sort of not not the best that they have to offer, right? But it was also a hit because people are stupid and they love those songs. So they sold a bunch of records and went on tour again. And at the end of that tour, they they went down to South America and toured Brazil and Argentina and did a bunch of shows before the uh, tens of thousands of people down there who who loved them. And by all accounts, everybody had a great time and the band sounds great. And you can find videos of those performances on the YouTubes these days. And that's like prime... Uh, Roth era Van Halen live spectacle, but you want that maximum impact and you want to, you want to document this situation. So what happens next, Aaron is this little thing called the 1983 us festival. Are you familiar with this? No. Okay. So Steve Wozniak of Apple computer fame invests a whole shit ton of money into this this festival called the us festival he had done one in 1982 but 83 was going to be even bigger than 82 and it's going to go for four days so on day one you were going to have new wave day so you've got yeah clash are the headliners you've got men at work stray cats flock of seagulls it's new wave day oingo boingo featuring a, a dewey danny elfman pre batman soundtracks oh wow uh sunday Heavy Metal Day, headlined by Van Halen. But you've also got Scorpions around there, Ozzy's there, Priest, Motley Crue, Quiet Riot. Monday is going to be just straight up Rock Day, headlined by Mr. David Bowie. David Bowie. U2 shows up for a while, too. Quarter Flash, who could forget them? And then Saturday, June 4th was going to be Country Music Day, headlined by Mr. Willie Nelson. And Waylon's there, Alabama. Emmy Lou, Ricky Skaggs, Ricky Emmy fucking Lou. Skaggs. Yeah, yeah. This is quite that's a scene. A pretty, yeah, that's a that's a legit lineup. Yeah. So this, Aaron, this is their moment. They are in top form. Kind of. They've been off the road. So this was uh in May. They were off the road by I think February. So they had a couple few months off. And really they were looking for a break. Edward specifically was like, all right, I gotta write some new music because we're still we're on fumes at this point and I need some time to get fucked up and build my sweet 5150 studios. And I just want to hang out and play guitar with my brother and Don Landy all day. And it's going to be a great time. And also I'm, I'm dating slash maybe married to Valerie Bertinelli at this point. So, I mean, I got, I got this life I want to live. I've been working my ass off, putting out heavy records every year. Give a guy a break. But this show comes up and Van Halen gets, the the primo spot on heavy metal day and they get the highest negotiate the highest fee too so i think for this one show they made 1.5 million dollars was the wow deal. 1983 bucks no yeah. less it's hard to say no to right so you mm-hmm. want to be there and it's selling out huge and so on their day heavy metal day i think there are 375,000 people in attendance so this is are, the epic are moment they anticipating this as their you know live at the Fillmore, or is well, that how it goes down historically or do i just need to listen i mean are they are they recording all the time and just looking for goodness or are they really putting the pressure on themselves for 
this particular one? Uh, I think I'm putting the pressure on them for, with okay. many okay. years of hindsight. I'm, gotcha. I'm just saying that if ever there was a time for them to have this type of document, now is the yeah. time, right? Yeah. So you got 375,000 people there who are just mad for fucking prime Van Halen. And also it's going to be, uh, there's a video broadcast. So it's like one of these global style deals. So it's like, this is going to be their queen at Live Aid. This was a huge set by a huge band, and they really pulled it off, and the crowd and the world went wild. You know, we all fell in love with them all over again on that day. So that's the situation that could, nay, should have happened on this day. Right. So at this point, we're going to turn to... I'm sensing a but. Oh, that's just me. I'm sorry. Uh, Okay. I'll move over. Uh, So at this point, we are going to turn to Noel Monk's book, Running with the Devil. And uh, Noel Monk was their their manager at the time and during his primo years. Noel Monk's an interesting dude. He was also the road manager for the one and only Sex Pistols tour of the United States. Oh, okay. Okay. uh, Which ended with them with the band breaking up. Uh, to, yep. just as a reminder so he wrote a book about that but he now he's written running with the devil a backstage pass to the wild times loud rock and the down and dirty truth behind the making of van halen published by day street books so think about it. so let's let's check in with what noel says is going on here on the day of the us festival the day when the whole world is going to behold the mighty van halen David liked to drink a little before going on stage, but very rarely had he imbibed so heavily that it affected his performance. There were a few times overseas when David had gotten drunk before media appearances, which made for interesting TV, but in the States he had always been smart enough to keep things under control. So imagine my surprise when I returned to the trailer a couple hours later and found David drunk and crelled out of his mind. Now in this, oh, uh, boy. their parlance, uh, crelled is coked, coked out of his mind. Oh, okay. Okay. I mean, I was mortified. He could barely stand up. What the fuck happened? I said, Steve, their, their handler, I guess, threw his hands in the air. He wore a look of utter surrender. I don't know. I just, I couldn't stop him. This I did not doubt in the least. If David wanted to get fucked up, he was going to get fucked up. And there was no force on earth that could stop him. The thing is, in the past, David had always known when to pump the brakes. You partied after the show, not before the show. And certainly not before the biggest concert of your career. So even back then, the stakes were high. They knew what the deal was. Yeah. To put it mildly, this was not a good night for me or my band. In front of a couple hundred thousand people and the largest collection of media ever assembled for a concert, Van Halen went out and nearly shit the bed. So, Aaron, if I know you, and I I like to think that I do, you're going to want to see them shit the bed, right? Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. Please step into my rock and roll time machine. Okay. I'm buckled. Safety first. Right, and we've made it, and here we are in San Bernardino, California. Oh, yeah, San Bernardino. We are, uh, we are in the middle of the Van Halen set, as we can hear. And it sounds like they are doing Everybody Wants Some after yeah, off say, of... Yeah, it sounds like everyone wants some. That's what, that's what they say. That's what everybody, everybody's talking about it. But let's, okay. let's check it out. And the crowd around us, they're all going wild. Look at the size of that stage. And it looks like uh, Dave is dressed up as a professional wrestler. He looks kind of Marty Jannetty-ish. 
Oh, Dave. Oh, we're going to break it down, Aaron. I think Dave might have some words. Let's check it out. Can you hear me? <laughs> yeah. I want to dedicate... I want to dedicate this song tonight to each and every one of you who's ever had somebody you were in love with. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Where's he going with this? Now I also want to dedicate this song tonight to each and every one of you who's ever been in love with someone but you wished you were in love with somebody else. Uh They tell me that the Van Halen audience causes a lot of trouble. They, the powers that be. I just want you to know, baby, that tonight we have drawn twice as many people as last night. (laughs) (laughs) Is there anybody here who likes to rock and roll? you to know that tonight all you here tonight who believe in rock and roll (laughs) are twice as many who are gonna be here tomorrow night (laughs) a lot of of math Dave Yeah, boy. All right, Aaron, we got to get the hell out of here. Let's go back. Oh yeah. Let's go back to whence we came. So, hold on, hold on, all right, all right. Just okay. take a seat, take a seat, get your bearings. Oof. That yeah, was a that lot. Was, that you, was a little faster than I'm used to. You're okay. probably getting a little contact high from all the reefer that's in the air out there in San Bernardino <laughs> as well. That crowd allegedly was really into rock and roll. Yeah, and as, twice as many as there were the night before, and there will be twice as many the next night. <laughs> that's what they say. I don't say. know if there's maths on that, as the as the British would say. We need Dude, to check his maths. So that's a, that's a whole just chatty breakdown, and it's sloppy as fuck, and it doesn't sound very good. And no, meanwhile, the rest of the show is plagued with technical issues, and you know, it was just of the times, and the cable doesn't work, and the the uh, wireless systems don't work and so they're you know battling the instruments and it just did not come off well and meanwhile david is is uh I mean, he sounds like he sounds like he's about 75 years old at the end of the bar at max or something <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> 
<laughs> Maybe not Max, but somewhere. I'm trying to find the quote. On this night, David did not live up to the terms of the deal. He forgot lyrics, staggered awkwardly around the stage, and for some reason kept saying, Come on, folks, let's go across the street and have a drink. And that's <laughs> very much what we saw there. And what happens, oh, yeah. though, Aaron, is... So not only do they shit the bed at the, the biggest, the key moment, the thing that should make them legends, right? Yeah. But this this sort of like three to five minutes breakdown of slurred speech becomes the norm for Van Halen gigs. Oh, and in the subsequent okay. 1984 tour, there's just a whole lot of him talking. And meanwhile, the rest of the band who have been at this point relegated to his backing band, to him, his his musings, if you will. Uh, they're just kind of standing around like, can we get back to the fucking song, please? Like, <laughs> right, right. People, people came here to watch me play this guitar and you just keep talking and you've just taken over everything and the things you're saying that make no sense. This is not good. And that just becomes uh, the, the new normal for Van Halen on what should be their triumphant world tour of 1984 is that you get... You know, you're going to get your your bass solo, your drum solo, your guitar solo. You're going to get Dave sort of monologuing for a, a cool half hour. And uh, <laughs> and maybe you're going to get a uh, jump in Panama, too. You know, like, and that's right, the gig right. at this point. So exhibit B. Now, exhibit C. Let's go to that 1984 tour and let's just talk about it for a moment. And we'll, we're, again, we'll refer to Noel Monk's recollections of, of the time since he was there. In his book, Running with the Devil. And we have to go with these sources, yeah. So let me, let me put you in the time and place. We don't have to travel through time for this. Um, but it is the end of the 1984 tour of the, of the okay. U.S. They've, got, they've just had a, a month off, and now they're going over to Europe to tour the continent and join up with the Monsters of Rock tour in Europe. And the way they're going to do that, they're going to fly over to Europe in triumphant fashion on the fucking Concorde, which if you're a baller oh, nice. rock star, that's how you got to do it, right? Yeah. As fast as possible. So this is the scene in a, in a limo going to the airport to board the Concorde. And right, this is a sweet, sweet nose, the trademark nose or whatever of the Concorde. Yeah, it's kind of, kind of hooked down like that. Yeah, looks yeah. a little like a space shuttle. Gleaming white. Oh, yeah. man. Bring the Concorde back, right? Yeah. So, no, here's what Noel says about his limo ride to the, the Concorde with David. Here was David, sitting next to me in a limo, preparing for the final leg of Van Halen's biggest tour, and he seemed utterly clueless as to the devastation he was about to wreak on the band and everyone involved. We're hoping to get it out in January, he says with a big smile. What do you say? Now, what he's talking about there is he's got this cassette tape with some tunes he's been working on. And he's just played Noel uh, a part of this tune that he's really excited about. Let's let's just listen to a, a bit of it. Okay. Uh huh. I don't know if this rings any bells for you, but it absolutely doesn't, doesn't sound like Van Halen necessarily. That's right. It's California Girls by the Beach Boys. Do you remember his outfits in the video? I do. I do. Yeah, I'm not do. happy about it, but I do. I mean... Oh, it's just the worst, Aaron. I, I cannot abide. 
but he, you know dave at the time at least with just a gigolo there's there's some charm to that oh you, you talking about <laughs> oh yeah garbage so <laughs> dave's really excited about it as he, he's, he plays this tape for for noel so you know no what do you we're gonna try to put it out in january what do you say what do i say this is what noel says to himself i say you're a fucking idiot what came out of my mouth however was a much more benign and measured response really january david nodded proudly <laughs> and when are you going to tell the other guys about this i asked soon as we get on the plane he said i think they'll be excited Oh, I'm sure they will be. So, <laughs> so they board the fucking Concorde to go conquer Europe. And uh, you can just picture David sitting next to uh, Edward on the plane. And he pulls out his little tape recorder. And uh, as Noel notes here, they were not excited. I watched from my seat in the Concorde lounge as David pulled out his cassette recorder and queued up California Girls for Edward. I could not hear their conversation as they were a few seats away, but I could hear the music and read the body language. <laughs> David smiling and bobbing his head rhythmically, clearly proud to share the news of his next phase of his professional life with his bandmates. And Edward slouched in his seat, staring straight ahead, his face devoid of emotion. <laughs> Two, three. So if you read the rest of uh, Noel's account of, we got to stop this, uh, rest of Noel's account of the 1984 world tour, things had been building to this point. And uh, to put it mildly, these guys were not getting along and they had a lot of issues with each other, especially the band or the brothers anyway, and David Lee Roth. So once this shows up, like, oh, you're going to do a solo album. And apparently in the new book that Greg Renoff, his new book is the autobiography of Ted Templeman. He's written up Ted Templeman, the producer of Van Halen's autobiography. And apparently Ted takes credit for this plan as a, as a way to sort of, uh, you know, give David some spotlight and then meanwhile sort of motivate the rest of the band to get together. And he thought this would just be a little side, a little detour, right? To, yeah, right. Sure. To, you know, David's a very uh, energetic, enthusiastic gentleman. So you got to keep yeah. him like a child, keep him busy, you know, give him a toy, yeah. something to play with. And so that's how we ended up with this. And wow enough we can't we can't do it so this again becomes the sort of final nail in the coffin and david as as noel says here was very excited about this project aaron well, understandably and, right i mean, I mean he's he, having fun he likes this music it's yeah. it's not van halen appropriate and he knows that but he still he likes it enough he wants to do it and that's and, a great side album or side project uh yeah uh, the rest of the band, obviously, uh, not that into it. And right. especially when this escalates from an EP, which should be just a fun little four songs, like something that mm -hmm. ties you over, you, you Van Halen maniacs, until the next record comes out. Uh, here's a little, a little soft shoe from, from Diamond Dave, right? But it escalates into a full album produced by Ted Templeman, and then escalates further to a motion picture feature called crazy from the heat based off of the title of the record and it was really? going to be a movie 
that David Lee Roth was going to star in where he plays this character who is basically just David Lee Roth and it's and it's his spotlight and this while the rest of Van Halen is sort of standing around looking at their watches going like what are we what are we doing here uh, I think the story goes that eventually this leads to a summit at uh, Diamond Dave's house, the very same house okay. where he was chained to that chain link fence. And Eddie Van Halen basically says, look, I'm not waiting around for you while you do this shit, this garbage. So we're moving on. And David is fine with that because he's going to be a movie star. And that's really what he wants. And he also wants... <laughs> So thus ends the, the tenure of Diamond David Lee Roth with Van Halen in the year 1985. Uh, yeah, 1985. And he sort of soft shoes off into the sunset with his uh, sparkly suspenders and his uh, sunglasses and that gorgeous thatch of chest hair. So what are we left with, Aaron, from, from the Diamond David Lee Roth era? Like, how does this play into our overall rewriting of the narrative? Well, it depends on what's, what comes next, right? Oh, well, yeah. Well, there's, so there's one guy who sums it up really well as to what Dave Roth does for the band Van Halen, and that guy happens to be his successor, Sammy Hagar, who spoke on this to one Mr. Dan Rather in 2017. Let's have a listen. Do you have, a, do you have a clip of the Red Rocker himself? I do. Should I do. We he's hear gonna that? Be, he's going to be piping in those hot vox right now. Okay. So that's Sammy talking to what what Dave does for the band Van Halen, which yeah, is the, he's the showman. And actually, reminds me of a clip. I don't I don't know why Facebook's decided that I want to see clips of people on Stern because I've never really listened to the guy, but mm-hmm, I did mm-hmm. see a clip of him interviewing Sammy when uh, his his band with you know Bonham's son and Michael Anthony. Oh, the Circle, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. They they were on it and saying similar sort of things that he respected Dave as a showman and he thought they could have made it work where, you know, Dave could like go out there and jump around and <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, that sort of stuff. And yeah, Sammy could 
do the singing and maybe Dave can do some singing, but it just wasn't, it just didn't work out. Yeah. And so that seems to be what Dave is good for is you put this dude in some shiny pants and have him sort of point over to the little guitar genius over in the corner and sort of guide the show and put the spotlight on this great guitar player. Now saying that this is coming from, from Sammy uh, so let's take a let's take a moment here. Let's have let's take a breath, right? Because yeah, let's, let's let's recap. Diamond David Lee Roth is leaving Van Halen at the peak of their popularity, which is yeah. kind of unheard of, right? The only thing that's sort of comparable is, I guess, ACDC because Bon Scott dies, and then yeah. they put out their biggest record with the new guy. You know, yeah. Um, but to to have things sort of dissolve after you sell sell ten million copies. Uh, of 1984 is kind of kind of crazy and this is like a theme of like this is a band that can't get out of its own way i don't know if you ever read please kill me the oral history of punk rock by legs no i've seen that but i've not i've not read that one it's a must read you should you should read it but they they talk i think they're talking about johnny thunders from the new york dolls in that book somebody somebody refers to him and they they talk about like the way he lived his life was uh snatching uh Snatching defeat from the jaws of victory, which is kind of <laughs> how I, I see Van Halen sometimes is like they <laughs> they just can't they can't get it right sometimes. So like in this in this case, like biggest band in the land, right? Yeah, it's them. It's uh, Michael Jackson. It's Prince. It's Bruce. And that's about it. You know, like that's the landscape of music at this point. And their lead singer, their their showman, the MC kind of takes off to go make this crazy movie based off of an EP featuring a bunch of cover songs. The Ringmaster. Yeah, right. And it's just kind of bizarre. And also, what's what's strange to me, like, thinking about this is, so, you, you put out California Girls and Just a Gigolo, but Dave always had a problem with Jump, which had been around since the early 80s, I think. Um, like very early 80s and didn't want to do it because Van Halen's a guitar band and uh, Edward is a guitar hero so right. we can't we can't be seen with this type of song and yet he wants to be seen wearing uh spangly suspenders and um like tap shoes or wh- whatever whatever it is David Lee Roth wears you know so he he didn't think that fit the Van Halen image yeah right That's, and the same thing that is with, an interesting thing with him being such a a pop like well, he talks about it a lot himself about being really into like, you know, since he was a kid being into like Al Jolson and stuff like that and being a real, right. like a vaudevillian character. And also there's always this story of him and Ted Templeman, the producer, yeah. uh, always angling for the cover songs. Again, the, the diver down scenario of Dance yeah, in the like Street. Ice Cream Man, like that sort of thing, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And um, Although maybe that's a little less... Yeah, you're talking more like dancing in the streets, right? Yeah, and pretty woman, that kind of thing, yep. where it's like, oh, all right, but we are Van Halen, but we're going to do this. There just seems to be a lot of mixed messages, and Ted Templeman wants them to stay dark like Fair Warning, uh, or so he, he claims, even though that record didn't do very well when it came out. Uh, and that would, be the la- that would be the fourth record, the last of the first four we talked about earlier. Yeah. And there's a reason why I haven't played anything for you from that, because that's sort of like the apex of uh, the guitar wizardry appears on Fair Warning. It's it's the rockinest, Aaron. You you will see. We'll get there. Okay. And then it's also odd that like, you know, Van Halen wants to rock, but then Eddie is also moving towards a more, he's really into the keyboard and he was a piano 
prodigy uh, at a young age, as we we've spoken about in previous episodes. So that makes sense. And and then once Sammy joins the band, we go into some some pretty powerful power ballads and yes. some pretty keyboard heavy times, as we will see. Uh, I, th- I think I don't know. This is really more of a guitar show, but we'll probably run into that stuff eventually. The other thing is, I I got to tell you, I kind of part ways with a lot of Van Halen fans in that I don't care about the singer's solo works, like the stuff they do outside of the band. And I know a lot of people, especially if you were um, a little bit older than than me anyway, and were around in 1984 to have the 1984 experience where Jump, Hot for Teacher, and Panama are just slamming your radio every day, right? And so I think it's it's probably a little bit different because I know like once they split up and uh, there was a real competition between the remaining Van Halens and then David Lee Roth and his solo project where, where he gets uh, was it Billy Sheehan and uh, Steve Vai on guitar and like forms oh, wow. his own little like super group yeah. to put out uh, Eat Em and Smile, which has, a, you know, supposed to be like a Van Halen-esque type of record to compete with with the brothers right right um but i didn't i I didn't realize all that yeah that was that was a thing that happened and uh i've never listened to it and i will never listen to it i don't i don't care i mean it's really for me it's always been about the guitar work and the same thing with our new guy coming in mr samuel hagar Uh, i don't know if you're familiar with the the common folklore around how how he got into the band no do tell all right, so yeah, I don't, I don't know that origin story. Yeah, it's a, it's an old wives' tale. I've, nobody really knows if it, this actually happened or not, but this is the fun way that it, it's being told is having gone down. But they both had the same auto mechanic who worked on uh, hot rod sports cars, right? Your Ferraris and uh, your Countach's and things like that. And Eddie was down at the mechanics one day because he's a real gearhead too, as is Sammy. And he saw Sammy's car, and he was like, hey, whose car is that? And the, this dude, Claudio, who runs the garage, is like, oh, it's Sammy Hagar's. You should call him up and get him into the band. And Edward apparently called him up right there and said, hey, why don't you come on over and jam with us? Uh, and that's, that's the origin story. And then it, it all was uh, perfect from, from there on out. Now, that being said, that's the, that's the story. But now things get sticky because with Sammy, who is by all accounts a very nice dude, his story isn't always the most consistent. So we've, we run into some paradoxes with Sam and how these things go down. So, okay. in, so in this case, I've got, I've got a clip here from that same uh, Sammy interview with Dan Rather, and uh, I will play it for you. And this is about where Sam's headspace was when he got the phone call from Edward Van Halen. So we'll, we'll check okay. that out. Okay, so that's that's Sammy talking about how he's gassed, right? He's done every day, every day. Yeah, eleven years. Yep, and he was out there, and he was done. He was thinking about retiring. Yeah. Now that's that's his that's 2017. Sammy talking. 
So if we go back to the MTV Rockumentary special from 1986, when Sammy and the Van Halen lads put out their uh, record 5150, uh, he tells a different story. So let's check out what he was saying at the time. Well, the first time we got together was actually, believe it or not, oh, we tried to have a business meeting, if you can believe that. I wanted to know what they wanted to do, what the schedule was. I was just getting ready to go in and do an album. I had, in two weeks, I was starting my next album. So I was all ready, my band was rehearsed, my, my songs were written. So we had a sort of a business meeting for about two hours. I mean, it was like stupid. We didn't even get anything said. We didn't get anywhere. Finally, thank God Eddie says, uh, well, let's just jam something. Okay. All right. So inconsistencies in the story. Mm -hmm. He was ready to go out and conquer the world again. He was ready. Yeah. So same situation. Let's uh, the, the 1986 MTV Rockumentary Van Halen Unleashed. Here's Sammy again talking about the first show that they end up playing together as Van Halen on the, the debut show of their tour in Shreveport, Louisiana. Let's check this out. This is 86. I was really, really nervous. My manager did a crazy thing to us. He, uh, well, our manager, he booked us in Shreveport, Louisiana, a town, maybe one of three towns in the United States that I've never played because I never had airplay in it. So I, and so he starts a tour there, right, where I'm like, Sammy who, you know? Okay, so Sammy has never played Shreveport, Louisiana, right? <laughs> He's got the club, Sammy. Why, why would he lie about such a thing? All right, uh -huh. let's fast forward to 2017, back with Danny Rather. Let's hear what he's got to say. So apparently he played Shreveport tons of times, Aaron. Yeah, those those two can't be true. One can't is, both be true. It's a Schrodinger's uh, Hagar situation. <laughs> <laughs> what do you know about Sammy Hagar, Aaron? Well, as as far as pre-Van Halen Red Rocker days yeah, or yeah, just say, in general? Yeah, put yourself back in, in an 85, uh, yeah, pre-joining pre I mean, the band. What's his legacy? To me, it's pretty minimal, you know, as far as radio. So now I don't, I don't know about charts and sales and things like that, but I couldn't name you another Sammy Hagar song besides I Can't Drive 55. I was just going to ask you if you like, could. I, I feel like he, when I've heard interviews with him, oh, wait a second. Was he in Montrose? He was in Montrose. Yeah. For the first okay, two so records. That's, yeah. that's different. So he has that, I forgot, he has that aspect of his legacy too. 
yeah, I couldn't Montrose, tell you Montrose song, but mm-hmm. well, I, I'll tell you if check out that first Montrose record. It's pretty hot. It is pretty okay. good. I, I will say that that's good, but that's not solo Sam. You know, that's a that's a yeah. legitimate band, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I and, feel like he was a guy that was he had probably some lower profile national. He was able to make a living from it. I know that that clip he talked about retiring, but mm-hmm. I would not. I mean, it's not like anyone's clamoring to put the Red Rocker in the Hall of Fame based on his his solo efforts. You yeah, know? man. And I've you know I've seen Sammy live as a solo artist at least twice, possibly three times, and uh, I'm only in it for the Van Halen tunes for the most part. I mean, okay. I can't drive fifty five. All right, that, I think that's a that's its own tribute to 80s rock right like that's a yeah. that's a, a standard right of yeah. of that era and i think that came out 84 85 somewhere around and there do you, do you have a sense of how much guitar he plays on that i think he plays most of it okay he, that's cool that's yeah he's i mean he was he was a fairly decent guitar yeah, player so he's, he's a competent he's a competent guitar player yeah. And well, okay. So I'm going to just to foreshadow what's to come. Like we're going to probably pile a lot of shit onto Sammy Hagar over the ensuing episodes just because, because he's kind of a cornball. Right. But at the same time, it must be acknowledged that Sammy Hagar has an amazing rock and roll voice and can sing the moon and the stars and everything in between. Like the Duke can fucking sing. Right. Yeah. That being said, he also happens to be one of the most incompetent uh, lyrics writers of all time, okay. from what I can tell. I mean, they're abysmal. I mean, they're really... <laughs> I remember being, you know, like a teenager or even like a tween or whatever and being kind of like, this is this is borderline, but I'm going to go with it because it's rocking right. pretty hard. And I'm going to give you a pass this time, Sammy. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> but there are only so many times you can... Uh, give him the get out of jail free card so the other part of sammy's legacy i mean i think the reason that some of this stuff sticks out is because of the time so i can't drive 55 that was a rock staple and we can look at his discography here and so he did okay the two montrose records the first one went platinum and then 76 77 77 he put out two records 79 80 81 82 and 84 i mean so he's he is working consistently yeah he's, and he's he's getting in that i mean a lot of those records are top 50 yeah he's he's the, getting uh, in there the, i mean he his if you were going to graph his chart position i mean as he's getting ready to join van halen it, it certainly is trending in that like <laughs> yeah. the general trend is is higher I think, uh, okay, so Standing Hampton, that's kind of like the first really successful one. And I think that's the one that has, there's only one way to rock. That's the other oh, one. Oh, that's you right. Know? Yep. And yep. which is in itself not a great song. But when you do it live, when you're in Van Halen and you're doing dueling guitar solos with Edward Van Halen, uh-huh. that's that's fire, Aaron. Like, that's pretty good so stuff. Is, so is he is he playing... Is he playing guitar with the with the with the fellas sometimes? He does do it sometimes, especially in these early tours when he oh, first joins. Okay. And we'll, we'll see why in a moment. We'll, we're going to get there. Um, then, so the one before he joins Van Halen, he did with Ted Templeman, who also produced the Montrose Records back in the oh, day. Okay, uh, so they they're good buddies, and I th- you know came down through the grapevine, aka Ted Templeman, to Sammy Hagar that David Lee Roth has left Van Halen, and 
Sammy starts expecting a phone call, which he did end up getting, as we've uh, which, discussed. So maybe that whole meeting at the car place is a little... Uh, could be fiction. It yeah. could just be Sammy working for an angle. Because if there's one thing we can say about Sammy, he's, he's, he knows how to work an angle. He uh, does. So we're going to be quoting from his his autobiography in a minute here. And if you read that thing, which is very interesting, and probably half of it is true, so good for him. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, he's also very interested in money. Like, he talks mm-hmm. a lot about money to a point where it becomes a bad look. You know, it's very... Yeah. But I think uh, possibly all those guys were very concerned about where's the money, where's it coming sure. from, who's well, getting hear, it. Hearing, hearing Sammy talk about the money... <laughs> in relation to Cabo Wabo yes. on uh, on the, the Lance Armstrong podcast was really interesting. Yeah, I mean he is he is not sitting back and just letting the other like I I respect that that he's he's not letting other people handle all that for him. Like he he has a sense of what's going on. Yeah, and he's and he's done very well for himself being yeah. that way. So who, yeah. who am I to say? I have no money and he has literally hundreds of billions of dollars. So I can judge all I want, but he still uh, owns a liquor company or, or, or did yeah. or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But the, the way that he paints it nowadays, because he's the only one of from that time of Van Halen who does interviews him and Michael Anthony, like the brothers don't talk to anybody. So it's really right. hard to get any information. Um, they, and they don't even acknowledge this part of their catalog anymore. It's never been remastered. So, like, if you go out and bought uh, 5150 on CD, if if you wanted to have a CD, you're getting the master from uh, 1986, I think. Okay. Like, they haven't, they haven't gone back. So, the way Sammy paints it, though, is that, like, when he joins Van Halen, like, he, as a solo artist, is just as big as Van Halen, which, uh, if we, again, look at the charts right. and we look at the sales and we've got, uh, you know, a handful of platinum yeah. records, single platinum. And then we look at the Van Halen discography where I think Van Halen 1 is 10 million plus. Van Halen 2 is 5 million plus. 1984 is 10 million plus. I mean, it's just like, it's just not. And if we need a real expert uh, from back in the day opinion to weigh in on this, who would be my father, he says, no, Sammy was not as popular <laughs> as, yeah, right, as right. the band. Yeah, there's, um, that just defies belief both culturally and numerically yeah it just it doesn't it doesn't make sense but sammy was around and he had played with van halen many times on these bills the the late 70s early 80s hard rock bills that were around when you had festivals come together you would see sammy hagar and fucking boston and ufo and van halen all in the same bill and uh i'm sure that was a wild time but yep so he is around he has a grain of salt memory we can only believe so much but because the brothers don't talk about their side of things or publish their book or do interviews or whatever like we kind of have to take some i mean that he gives us the the lone insight into what things were like back then when he joins van halen so let's check out what it's like for sammy hagar we're going to we're going to switch to uh his book here red my unauth- my authorized history of rock and roll or whatever the fuck it's called by harper collins press uh it is a good read if you like rock decadence he really really hits it so this is what it's like for sammy hagar to walk into the van halen camp in the summer of 1985 post david lee roth exit eddie lived in a very humble house with his wife valerie bertinelli the actress It was actually Valerie's house. Eddie just moved in with her. It was just an ordinary two-bedroom house with a garage that he'd converted into a studio. 
They called the studio 5150 after the police code for picking up a crazy person. It was not a rock star home, and the studio was a dump. They were recording through a homemade board that could have been come out of a Cracker Jack box built by engineer Don Landy. And we've talked about Don Landy before. Right. He's yep. their, their uh, Ed's buddy who used to work with Ted Templeman and then switched camps and stayed with the Van Halen boys. Landy could make the board sound brilliant, but he was a genius and knew how to work it. To anybody else, it was like model airplane gear. The studio was filthy, beer cans everywhere, ashtrays full of cigarettes. Don Landy had to blow away the cigarette ashes just to plug something into the board. The place smelled like the worst bar on the planet. I don't think it had ever been cleaned. Eddie's guitars were lying on the floor, nothing on racks, nothing in cases, just on the floor, on chairs, leaning against amps, against the wall, a pile of them in the corner. It was beautiful, but I'd never seen anything like it. Eddie walked in wearing a pair of those shades with louvers in them. <laughs> He'd been up all night drinking, trying to write some music. I didn't know these guys. I didn't know what their routine was. But they were beat up. Eddie was wearing a pair of wrinkled pants. When I went into their house later that day, I saw why. He and Valerie were living out of their suitcases. They had been off the road for a few months, but didn't have their stuff hanging in their closets. It was sitting in their suitcases on the floor. There was piles of stuff everywhere. It was weird. They could afford maids, but they didn't have them. They were kids. If you really look at it, they had been out on the road for five years and had only recently come home. Eddie never bothered to unpack. He was always pulling clothes out, finding something halfway clean but wrinkled. I found all this kind of humorous, like, far out. These guys really don't care. I thought it was pretty cool. So that's what we're walking into at the studio. And that, that seems like that would be very not, like... My my impression of Sammy is, and this doesn't have to be a negative thing, but mm-hmm. you know he he is somewhere between thoughtful and calculating, right? Yeah, definitely. That's spot on. I think. Yeah, and I think he also he's a little bit older, a lot he, less older than he used to be. <laughs> maybe I'm not sure if that's in the book or not, though. I don't know if he okay. actually speaks to that. <laughs> um, right. I think if you read the early part of his book, which I kind of skimmed. Uh, is you know he's been married for his entire career, and like when he's not out rocking and rolling, rocking these United States of America, he's at home being you know your standard issue husband with a standard right. issue wife, and he's I think he's a fairly normal dude, you know. Yeah. But he's also, as we've discussed, you know, into the business aspect of the rock and roll rather than the lifestyle. We'll put it that yeah. way. And again, he's done well by that, so it's not a judgment or whatever, but just a different scene than uh than what I think the Van Halen brothers were doing at that time, what it sounds like anyway. Uh, so the story goes that they they get together uh, and they jam. It's the four of them. Michael Anthony's there too. And they jam and roll tape. And you can hear that. You can hear what they recorded, I think, on, uh, I think it's on YouTube, the, the early 5150 demos. I was going to pull some stuff from that, but the sound quality is pretty bad. So mm-hmm. we won't we won't bother with it. Um, but the, so the music's pretty much there and they've been working on a lot of stuff that shows up on the record. And by the end of the, the jam session, everybody's kind of in agreement, like, yeah, this is, I think we got a band here. And so he's basically in the band and they start working on material for this new record to follow up their biggest record so far with the new singer and without Ted Templeman at the, at the board. So it's really, and we're, and we're recording at Eddie's house again. So while they're getting their material together, Sammy has one more solo gig to play that he is signed up for, and it is the 1985 Farm Aid Festival. Does this oh, ring okay. a bell to you? Absolutely. 
I mean, as far as quality of quality of the people involved, like it's it's not just big names. Like uh, one of my favorite bands, Jason and the Scorchers, were on that bill. Oh, were they? Played, yeah, they played real hot. I don't even know where they are on on the list, but I've seen. Yep, there they are. They're uh, in that. Oh no, maybe they were Farm Aid Two. Oh, eighty six. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. But still yeah, the same scene, you know. You know that's the, a I mean, that's that's a hot range of. Oh, look at eighty six. You get the blasters, Ray, <laughs> Taj Mahal, Ray, George Jones. <laughs> wow, Los Lobos. Yeah, and then your yeah. your standard issue. Alabama is going to be there. Alabama's playing a lot of shows during this yeah. time. Um, oh yeah, bringing you those sweet sweet Alabama harms. Yeah. Um, so the 85, we got Alabama, Hoyt Axton, the Beach Boys, the Blasters, Bon Jovi, Buffett, Glenn Campbell, Cash, David Allen Coe, Dylan, John Denver, Arlo Guthrie, Huey Billy Joel. This is a huge bill. Oh my yep. God. I, I hope they paid. I hope they made money. I hope they paid yeah. off some farmer mortgages. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Willie Nelson again shows up, Roy Orbison, oh. Tom Petty. X. X. That's great. Cool. X shows up. Wow. Well, got, and yeah, then, you got the Blasters X. I mean, that's, that's some of those L.A. And Don Henley, punk rocker Dude, Don yeah, Henley. <laughs> and Carol King. And, the, yeah, the gang, Huey Lewis, another superstar of the time, 1985. Mm-hmm. That's Prime Lewis. Sports yeah. has just come out, sold a billion copies. And the summer of 1985 sees the release of Back to the Future, also prominently featuring Huey Lewis and his news. Are they in the Are they in the original Back to the Future? Yeah, they've got two songs on the soundtrack: uh, "Power of Love" and "Back in Time." And then also, Huey Lewis has a cameo Is as that... the Battle of the Bands guy who says, "I'm sorry, guys, but you're too darn loud." Oh, he does. Yeah, I thought "Power of Love" was from one of the later ones, like <sighs> no three or something. Mm, no, because three was um, headlined. The soundtrack was headlined by ZZ Top, we've spoken about on this very Uh-oh. show. Okay, okay. And their song was called Double Back. Double Back Again. Okay. And then they, sh- yep. they show up in the Old West as Old West ZZ Top playing folk instruments. Right. Doing that song. And then Back to the Future 2 soundtrack prominently features uh, I Can't Drive 55 by Sammy Hagar. Oh, let's square that circle. Exactly. Yeah, Power Man, of Love, I, 85, written for and featured in Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. As always, I apologize. <laughs> as well you should. You're a disgrace. Yeah. Um, so here we are. It's September 22nd, 1985, Champaign, Illinois, Memorial Stadium. It's Farm Aid Mania. Anybody who's anybody is there, which means that Sammy Hagar is going to be there. Uh, to help them farmers because he's an American guy and he loves America and he is going to help these people pay their mortgages. And so what is decided is he's going to take this opportunity. The last time he's going to play as a solo artist with his old solo artist band uh, who are comical 1980s archetypes, uh, a lot of jean jackets, a lot of tank tops, a lot of big old permed hair. Um, And he's going to take this moment to announce on a a nationally televised program to a huge national audience that he's going to be the lead singer of Van Halen. And then he's going to bring out Eddie Van Halen to jam with him. Now I know you want to see that, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. How can we do that though? Well, 
I got a got a couple of tricks up my sleeve. One of them is called the rock and roll time machine. Please step in. Oh boy. Okay, now Aaron, uh, you look a little dizzy. Do you need a Yeah, give, hold on, give me a sec. Yeah. Now, if you will okay. look around, <laughs> if you look around real quick, you'll see that we are not actually in Champaign, Illinois. No, I mean, I yeah, would, I'm confused. Yeah, as as well you should be. And I would have just taken you right to Farm Aid, but it's important that we actually watch Farm Aid on television live as it's happening because again, Snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. So we are actually in Fowlerville, Michigan, in my oh. old house. This oh, is, I am a, just a wee lad of four years of age, and we are actually out visiting uh, grandma and grandpa. So we're not home. So we're just breaking into my old house at this point. So please step inside. We're on you know Fra- Frank Street, the old uh, farmhouse, right? Oh wow! And we step in here into this uh, lovely kind of shaggish type of carpeting. And uh, go over the old tube here, and when we let this, uh, you know, the old boob tube sort of warm up, I'll tell you that this is the plan. Is that again? Sammy wants to make this a big deal, so he's gonna play a couple of numbers, and then he's gonna announce to this crazy champagne audience that, hey, you know, I'm Sammy Hagar, and I'm gonna be joining Van Halen, and here's the man, Eddie Van Halen. So let's just uh, let's turn on the tube here and see what's going on. Ooh. Oh yeah, so Sammy's rocking out. He just he's just he's finishing up. I can't drive fifty five. I think he's gonna make the announcement after this little flourish here. So this is a big deal. Yeah, see, he's a competent guitar player, isn't he? Yeah, sure. He's got the old uh, Madonna headset mic rocking. He's got some very Thumbs tight up. bicycle pants. People are going wild. I think they're gonna wait a minute. Have you ever in your life seen such energy? Not lately. <laughs> That's Brenda Lee, Little Miss Dynamite. Wow. Rocking around the Christmas tree with Brenda Lee. One of the few artists, Brenda, I believe, who can toss and turn at a guitar. And, and sing at the same time. Sing and control air traffic over champagne with that special <laughs> microphone he has at the same time. Wonderful. So in the background, you can hear the cheering as he actually Perhaps makes the announcement. The, uh, so he made the announcement and it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> <to> cut away. <laughs> Wait for it. To replace David Lee Roth with Van Halen. Maybe we'll get a taste of that. We're not sure. Well, I hope so, because we've still got Van Halen coming up. I know. And lots more, too. But right now, we're going to go back to the stage and see what else we're going to (laughs) see. Let's see what else we're going to see. Wait a minute. Eddie Van Halen's on stage. Is he putting on a carpet? Something. Come on, Eddie. What's this? Oh, Sammy's all about his banners. He's always been about banners. My dick's too small. God damn, how'd they know that? (laughs) (laughs) Not even an upgrade in stage banter, really. Uh, What are you talking about? Look, we didn't have time to work nothing up. And and Eddie and I were sitting at his house bullshitting, and uh, we was looking at a newspaper, right? And it said... It's amazing it's made it past the censors. I know, I can't believe it. So, at the last minute, we decided to go ahead and do it. And we don't know... uh, any songs as a band, so we're just gonna jam a couple songs that we all grew up on, okay? Let's go. Oh, buddy, are you ready for this? Do you like the Led Zeppelins, Aaron? Oh, yeah. 
head. He's got the trademark oh, yeah. sig in the headstock. Sam is that that actually is really he's having a good time yeah man you're singing Robert Plant's vocals better than Robert Plant singing them at that point I mean you are I mean we've already seen the Led Zeppelin reunion by this time I think I think uh, uh, Live Aid was earlier in the summer this is September and there was you know it was a catastrophe for Led Zeppelin they sounded terrible Eddie, of course, is playing things that Jimmy Page could only dream of. Right. I mean, this is very overqualified uh, <laughs> classic rock, basically. I, I love Eddie's his guitar playing faces. Oh, yeah. He's having a blast. He's like, I can't believe I'm doing this. Look yeah. at him go. Edward. And he actually, he's just wearing jeans. The ambassador. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) All right. That's an ambassador (laughs) solo right there, isn't it? It's a little bit ambassador, but it's in the context of uh, a classic. It sort of of reinvents it a little bit, I think. He's He's playing the song. Let's get the hell out of here. Oh, man. Uh, did you turn your TV off? I did. Uh, oh, shit. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh. oh, so soon. Let's just turn the television off because Dad's going to be pissed. Oh, yeah, the, the bill. Oh. All right. That's, let's get out Good. of here. Okay. Gra- grab cool. some of those crackers, too, if you could. <laughs> Thank you. All right, let's go back. <laughs> Can you imagine the electricity bill? Especially in those days. Things were, yeah. whew, man, yeah. 85. Wow, lean yeah. years in the Zeppa household. But hey, here we are. So that's the, that's the big announcement that never actually happened. And so they continue on uh, recording or preparing for their new record. And so, of course, uh, Eddie and Don Landy want to just produce the new record, 5150, as we've already discussed. Uh, by themselves because why the hell not? We're in my studio and we just sold 10 million records or whatever. But the, the record company, Warner Brothers, of course, they're like, yeah, you know, we don't think that's a great idea that you guys be in charge of making the follow-up to your biggest record yet. So we need to get somebody in there to kind of just shepherd the process. Yeah. Maybe, you know, babysit's a strong term, but mm-hmm. maybe just sort of make sure that things are proceeding, you know, like we can get an end date to this experience. We're glad you got Sammy Hagar. He's a professional. This is great. Everybody's on board with this. Yeah. They hammered out a deal between their two record companies where uh, Sammy's going to do a one more record or like a greatest hits album or something like that. And Eddie's going to play bass on it for him. And that's going to satisfy his record deal. And then that that record company gets some uh, some of the back end off of fifty one fifty money. It's it's a whole right. big again a lot of money, and who gives a shit really? So what happens is is they get uh, Mick Jones from the band Foreigner. 
Are you familiar with Foreigner? I was going to say, it'd be cooler if it was Mick Jones from The Clash, but I am familiar with Mick Jones from Foreigner, too. I'll tell you, though, the Foreigner, they've got... They got a slew of hits. They they have got a solid album's worth of songs that you want to listen to, I think. Okay. I'm, I mix up my Foreigner and my Fog Hat and my Fogelbergs. And- yeah, let's let's just give you a quick rundown because yeah. Foreigner, are, they are very qualified. Complete okay. greatest hits. So we've got Feels Like the First Time, Cold oh, as yeah, Ice. Oh, yeah, cold, cold as Ice. <laughs> On the other end of the spectrum, Hot Blooded, Double Vision. Yep, yep. <sighs> Waiting for a girl like you, jukebox hero. Oh, I want to okay. know what love is. I don't want to live without your love, or I don't want to live without you. Say you will. I mean, those are that's a yeah. those are classics. Whether you no. like the band, you know. Not no, you call myself as a far as like, fan. if that's if I'm driving and that's on the radio, I don't know that there's any of those that there's a that I'm guaranteed not going to flip the channel, but. I also don't mind them. Yeah, exactly. No. And that's for for the sake of uh, longevity in a career. I think that's the sweet spot, right? Where you want yeah, to be. That's it's like, true. It's like Phil Collins, you know. <laughs> so I know all those songs, but I don't like them. I know them all. So they were not, you know, they're not so bad that I just turned them off because I've somehow they've just they sank in like os- through osmosis. So they get Mick Jones, uh, who was apparently a buddy with. Sammy Hagar back in the day, and they, I'm sure Sammy and Foreigner crossed paths numerous times. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's get Mick Jones's take on what's happening 5150 time. Wait, so is he, is he the record company like Shepherd guy? Yeah, I think Sammy. Oh, that's interesting. Him, and then the record company signs off. I think that's the case. Okay. So. so yeah. All right. Because at this so point, normally they would do Ted Templeman, but he's with Dave doing Dave's solo debut record. Right. Um, so let's see. This is from ultimateclassicrock.com. This is an interview with Mick Jones. He says, I go a long way back with Sammy Hagar since he was in Montrose. He picked me up at the hotel and we were driving up to Eddie's studio and we were talking about the old days. And finally he said, I've got to tell you, Mick. All of that was wild and crazy and all that sort of thing. But, he said, we are just about to walk into another dimension of that. And I said, what? He said, I wasn't going to tell you earlier, but you'd better get ready for some crazy shit now. And I went, whoa. And I'd been around and seen a lot, you know, but it was pretty crazy up there. It lived up to its title. It was a challenge because they had a lot of stuff that they had been writing and it was a new writing partnership with Sammy and Eddie. And they were just coming down from the split with David Lee Roth. It was a big time. A lot of different things were happening and a lot of emotions were flying around. It was kind of exciting, but it was also scary thinking, well, what can I do for this band? Right. Uh, The engineer locked himself in the studio for a day and threatened to burn the tapes. It was a real standoff, you know? It was touch and go whether the tapes were going to survive. It all ended up great and everybody ended up being really cool and happy with what had happened. But it was pretty exhausting. <laughs> and I think, if I'm not mistaken, I haven't gone back to listen to our previous episode, as previously stated, but I think they threatened to destroy the tapes in the 1984 recording sessions as well. I think this is Don Landy again. Yeah, I, I was going to say that. That sounds familiar. Getting very possessive over, over the tapes. So they, get, they, they bust out the record, though. And... Um, you know, as we heard Sammy talk about earlier, they, they are about to go on tour, uh, starting in Shreveport, Louisiana, and they've got a great <laughs> record to tour on. 
where he may or may have may not have played. Now consider this: they decide for the most part to not play the old catalog. So you've got six albums with Dave, and you're not going to play most of it. So you've got to basically do an entirely different set list. So the the old set list from 1984 is like a real who's who of the hits, you know, opening with Unchained, going right into Hot for Teacher, and then into Alex Van Halen's drum solo. Like, wow. that's insanity, right? Yeah. And then On Fire, Running with the Devil, Little Guitars, you're hitting a lot of 1984 stuff, Girl Gone Bad, Everybody Wants Some, um, and then your hits, Pretty Woman, Panama, You Really Got Me, and so on and so forth. So they ch- basically chuck the old set list completely out the window, and you really don't hear those songs again for the next... 10 or so years, which is just crazy because those are classics. Those are all classics. So the 5150 set list then incorporates most of the new record. Of course, all of your solos, you got to have solos in a Van Halen show. Yeah. And you're also incorporating, oddly enough, Sammy Hagar solo material, which I've always felt say, is a I little, see, I see there's only one way to rock. Right. Which again, dueling guitar solos. We're going to hit that at some point. Okay. Um, that's, that's, that's pretty good. Um, is they talking about love from 5150? No, that one's uh, actually a, the, one of the lone throwbacks. That's from the first yeah. record. Okay, that's what, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, and then you've also got Jump, which they cut from the set list after May 14th. So they ditched that after the first leg, basically. Wow. And they do I Can't Drive 55, padded out with a little a Panama, which, you know, Panama can go on forever in a live scenario. Okay. Because they, they do that sort of uh, ease the seat back, that breakdown. They can stretch right. that out for, for years, and they do. Um, and then at this point, this is peak Eddie Van Halen guitar solo. So the guitar solo itself is like a 15 to 20 minute journey that you're going to oh, go wow. on. So, and, and how, it's amazing. Uh, how solo is it? Is it entirely like eruption style solo or is it with other people playing? Well, basically you're going to get the fanfare, um, which, which happens at any given moment in a Van Halen show, which is your, uh, grand opening chords with, mm-hmm. uh, Alex, and Michael Anthony sort of, uh, just vamping along, you know, bam, bam, bam. so like the intro to eruption itself, the, the track, and then you're going to have the outro fanfare, which is much the same thing, which is a lot of like, while Eddie just solos wildly over it and it becomes, uh, yeah. and then you finish with some big uh, power chord hits, which can go on forever. When I saw them in 1998, they held one note for like a minute solid. It was insanity. And how are people responding to that? Oh, you go nuts because it's Eddie okay. Van Halen. It's crazy. I mean, it's okay. by that point, it's, it's sort of the, like when Sammy joins, especially, I think because they needed to pad the set list out, it becomes sort of the what you build the rest of the set list around, basically. So it's okay, definitely right, right. Um, toward the end. So like out of 18 tracks that they have listed in the typical set list for the 5150 tour, the guitar solo is 13. So you come out of the solo, you do a couple of rockers, and then you're right into like encore territory. And then at the end, you finish up with rock and roll, which we just heard. We're doing a Led Zeppelin cover. And mm-hmm. if you're a fan of rock and roll music, you're like, yeah, this is the new Led Zeppelin. This is this totally fits. Right. But I think it's time that we check out 5150, the record, right? Like, let's hear some of these sounds that we've been working on. Again, let's, let's do a little comp here. The last thing we heard from the band was 1984's closing track, House of Pain. <laughs> You know, good shit, right? That sounds great. 
so let's check out the opening track from 5150. This is a song called Good Enough, all right? Hello, baby! <laughs> It's still, you know, pretty heavy, right? That was the old uh, Eddie Van Halen drip and drab there, by the way, that we heard in the, the earlier song. Somebody get me a doctor. The old uh, sound of water dripping. Yep, yep. It's funny. It's the it's the first song that they do with Sammy, and it's it's doing a lot of like food metaphors. Sammy's really into singing about food. Okay. Um, I mean, this song is, a, for all intents and purposes, about burgers, as far as I can tell. Um, but we see this again with pound cake, and later on with up for breakfast, where it's a lot of entendres with uh, putting the cream in my coffee, that kind of thing, putting right. butter on my biscuit. Like Sammy's always hungry. Somebody feed that yeah. guy, right? Food metaphors. Yeah. We're going to do a little switch up here. Oh, okay. Oh, there you go. Yeah, he's, he's doing it. Remember me? Here we go. Hey, waitress! Look at here, man! You got any specials here tonight? Me and a fella might be interested in. What's that? But rack of what? Oh, little Michael Anthony back there. Alright. Yeah, you got a Van Halen record on your hands, my friends. Close with the fanfare that we just talked about. Good enough to 
All right, opening track, good enough. Thoughts? It's it's interesting how they. Uh, I mean, they're, they're obviously being very intentional with that, to me at least, with drawing that line of continuity. But yet, it's yeah. I mean, it's not just accidental that they put that as the first track, and and Sammy yeah. starts off with the "Hello, Baby." I mean, he's he's not just leaving that to chance, like. This is all very thought out. I'm going to, this is where I introduce myself, but yes, we're still going to do some, you know, like in song, very, very Davish, like, yeah, the, uh, like, the, like, like, on, Dave, teacher, like break. The, yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I brought One the pencil. Break coming up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like, oh, that, exactly. Hey, uh, me and the fellas, what you got? A rack yeah. of what? Right, right. You know? Bunch of boobies. So, yeah, I'll yeah. have some of those. <laughs> Great. Food um, metaphors. <laughs> and that burger, too. I still want that burger. Burger with the yeah. side of boobs, please. Thank you. And, yeah, I mean, they're not... This would be that almost like the... Uh, was it the Phantom Menace? What's the, what's the first of the new trilogy of Star Wars movies? Oh, Star Force Wars Awakens? Movies? Yeah. Yep, where... You know, you're, you're reassuring folks, no, okay, we're still... It's still Star Wars here. We're not... Mm-hmm. And then yeah. they can, I don't know where this album goes, but that definitely seems like, all right, look, here's, here's Eddie. He's playing the guitar. Look, singer's still doing the singer stuff. Alex is doing Alex stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Michael Anthony still doesn't have a last name. He's taking this thing for a walk. <laughs> he's, right. you know, we got some, got some pure harmony vocals. Yeah. A couple different change-ups too. Like, you know, yep, yep, we're change his tempos. Yep. Do that. Do that. Big key change sort of thing. I don't know if it's even key they change, go, but yeah, yeah they go down to like a minor for the for the guitar solo at the beginning. I like the the fills at the at the opening uh, where you're getting just you know little tricks in between the opening riffs, and you know that's yeah, like you say, it's uh, everything you shop for when you shop at Van Halen is is still on the shelves. People, you right. know, we just got a new general manager. And his name is Sammy Hagar. It's a oh. it's a it's a personality swap, you know. Like Hello, it's a, baby. Yeah, a little Chantilly lace for you, yep. and let's uh, let's kick this thing off, and talk about food uh, and and boobies. Uh, it's it's intriguing, but I don't know. It's that's a solid rocker. I think that one holds up. It's yeah, it's it's stupid. It doesn't. It's not about anything other than burgers and boobs. But uh, it's. It's a song that you don't come to, you don't go there for anything else. You know, it is right, the Hooters right. restaurant of, of, of rock songs, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Kind of, kind of rocking. I will say that if you, I, I juiced, I juiced it a little bit. I've, I've remastered this record myself. Just oh, really? give it a little push because it doesn't sonically, it doesn't hold up to the, the first six records of the catalog, which have been remastered at least th twice, if not three times. For so, our modern ears. I kind of boosted it a devices. little bit. But they really need to remaster this part of the catalog with yeah, with contemporary uh tools and just give it a you know, because it'll sound good, I think. I want to hear it sound as good as it can be. So good good enough is like, hey, here we are. That's not the that's not the standout memorable track from this record, right? I mean, no, I, I don't know that I've heard that one before. Yeah, but it's still, a, it's good, you know, on your next run, dial it up and uh, and check it out and get into it. It's, uh, yeah, it's a little self-affirming too. It's not a single, because the single they did was Why Can't This Be Love? Okay. Which, 
Uh, that was this record. That was this one. That's track two. And I think you probably heard that one, I'm assuming. I mean, it was. Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. And it's a weird song. It's a weird it's uh it's you know it's very synth heavy of course yeah. it's the follow-up to jump right and it was yeah. the lead single and so it sounds and i assume it does well right i believe so yeah. yeah i think it did pretty well people were excited about it again you know the tour sold out and i think it's a good song it sounds like no other song i can think of really you know it it, it should sound very dated i think and yet it's it's so kind of synthy and weird that it doesn't in a way it's almost like in the air tonight in that it's like it's its own animal yeah i mean i guess well should, all right let's let's hear just a, a bit of it all right get a little synth bass coming up i forgot that this was the intro oh yeah there you go yep you know, and I, I get it's it's the '80s, right? This is what music yeah. kind of sounds like. But I don't know that I've ever heard this particular keyboard sound anywhere else before. Yeah, it sounds it just sounds unique, and it, the the song structure itself is kind of bizarre. So we're doing we're doing minors yeah. in the verses, building that tension. And then this little bridge to the chorus is really weird. Yeah. And then the hook is like undeniable. It's got what it takes. So tell me why can't this be love? Straight from my heart. And then we have like arguably the dumbest lyric ever written. Only time will tell if we stand the test of time, Aaron. Truer yep. words have never been spoken. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's it's good. It's a single, right? It's hooky. I could I could just listen to this. This is fine. But then we get to uh, like the pre-guitar solo breakdown, which is very bizarre and i can't explain it musically i don't know what it is but it's it's not normal right yeah how to define it okay like what is this right and what a weird change there too yeah like the it's not it's not call and response on the pre-chorus thing it's like echoing eddie's echoing his yeah and then it goes into the it's like it takes a step down sort of yes and i'd be curious to look at the chords for this song actually see what exactly this is so tell me But then the chorus is so triumphant in, in major yeah. key that it elevates it back up. Yeah. I don't know, Sammy. Why? Why can't it be love? It's a great question. Uh, it should be, right? And that's I mean, an interesting one in that 
I mean, it's certainly them, but it's not like that. You could see someone, uh, they wouldn't do it exactly the same way, Mm -hmm. but that could be someone else singing that song, you know, as far as a lot of it. Whereas yeah, something like uh, hot for teacher is, is more. There's only one, one group that can kind of pull this off. Right. Like it's, yeah, for sure. It's them. Um, Yeah. It's, 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 I think it's weird. Mm-hmm. I don't, maybe it's not good, but it's definitely weird in a good way. Yeah, right, right. I think that makes it a plus. And oh, sure. They really didn't do anything else that sounded like that ever again. Mm-hmm. So it kind of stands alone in the same way that Jump sort of sits on it as, as its own thing. Right. Um, yeah. And uh, arguably, you know, like right now, sim- also, you know, like this is the only song that we do that sounds like this out of a large catalog. Yeah, out of... Out of- just albums upon albums. This mm-hmm. is the so we got that, and then um, we're gonna the the main the title of this episode, which you are not aware of, but the folks who are listening have been long aware of, as we creep into the third hour of this of this show. Right now, I don't know if you're aware, but it is officially. <laughs> That's, I don't know where that clown that horn. Clown it, it sounds like a clown horn, right? I don't know why. <laughs> Why? Why? Couldn't tell you. Wow. Yeah. Meanwhile, let's carry on. We're going to talk about the main song we came here to talk about, Aaron. And it is the song, the title track of the album, 5150. Oh, okay. And this is a situation where, you know, whether you... Obviously, the the lead singer swap changed fans' perceptions quite a bit. And uh, some people were decidedly Dave people, and some people were decidedly Sammy people. And some people, like myself, I like it all as long as the dude's playing the guitar, right? Like, that's why I show up, is to watch uh, Eddie do his thing. And I could really take or leave both singers. It doesn't matter to me. But here's a great example. And I think everybody, if you're a fan of this band, is in agreement that this is an example where it, it works, even if you're just a Dave person. Like, here's here's a, a moment where, where Sammy really shines through. The lyrics are still kind of dumb, but in that quality way where it's like they're so vague, they could mean anything to anybody. Um, but, but they're not quite cliched. Okay. And, and then musically, this is a, it's a longer song. I think the song's like in total, like six or seven minutes or something like that. And it's got several parts that we're going to break down here for you. And then it has an extended solo passage, which is fairly rare for a pop radio oriented Van Halen. And we get to see the dude stretch out a little bit. So are you ready for this? Yeah, let's do this. I'm excited, right, man. I, I is, don't think I've heard 5150. This is, uh, this is, this is a real treat, I think. Uh, so we're going to start with just the intro, the verse and the chorus. So here we go.
mean, you can sense the triumph already, you know, like the, yeah. especially in a live scenario when it all comes together like this. Kind of bluesy, right? Well, halftime. There's that Zeppelin influence kind of coming in. Yeah. We take our chance with new beginnings. Speed it up, though, lads. So there we go. Those are the main components of the song yeah. 5150. Give me your impressions. It is. I'm surprised I haven't heard it before. Um, yeah, I couldn't tell you what it was about. I'd have to listen again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, you know, what's. That's right. What's, where you what's, Sammy, be. what's Sammy singing about again? But, right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it definitely, it definitely has, you know, some elements that, that make it stand out from some of the other ones. I and mean, I think some of those like, almost going into halftime sort of moments. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe that's a common thing on, on the ones that aren't the radio tracks, mm-hmm. but I, that it caught me a little bit by surprise. You know? Well, yeah. I mean, consider that's, those are just the, uh, the basic, you know, your intro verse and chorus, just those yeah. parts of the song. It takes two minutes and 18 seconds to get through just <laughs> those parts, you know, right. and then there's like the transitions in between them. I was for a second there thinking like, why wouldn't this be on the radio? But it's because like, you know, don't bore us, get to the chorus. And mm-hmm. like, you don't get to the chorus till two minutes in. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it definitely has that. And I don't know if this is Sammy or, or, or Eddie or who's, who's influenced the, uh, the melody. Like it's not, it's not too much melody, you know, mm-hmm. but there's, there's enough hookiness in there that it's like, you could sort of hum it. Da, 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 ba, ba, da, 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 yeah. But it's kind of, uh, I guess, lyrically, it's a little wordy too. It's a little bit more than you would want from a like a hooky pop single. Like, Yeah, I feel like I need to go back and, and listen to it more. Less like just experiencing the whole thing and more listening to the to what he's actually saying. Because I was, I was doing that almost like, you know, like when you're the, the auditory version of looking at something but not focusing on one element like yeah sort of sure taking in the big picture mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah i think i'd 
I'd yeah, go back and, and try and figure out what he's what what's he what's he getting on maybe that's, here. Maybe that's a little bit of homework for you, and you can tell yeah. us, give us your interpretation of you know when you get a chance to listen to the entire song, and I'll, I'll email you the the juiced version so it sounds loud and proud. Okay, um, and then you give you give me your book report on what the song fifty one fifty about again fifty one fifty being police code for mentally unstable person. What uh, you know? How does that tie into? Uh, meet you half the way and you don't know what that means or whatever he's singing there yeah who is who is the 5150 right? right Ooh, isn't that the question though is it sammy is it us is, is it, it her the, yeah right yeah, yeah. <laughs> is it david lee roth you know <laughs> yeah. uh so all right so that's those that's the the core elements of this tune let's go to the solo now yeah and uh, as I was saying, you know, Van Halen songs, by and large, like you're done within three minutes. It's one of the right. great things about them is that for all the technical ability, like there's not a whole lot of wanking, really. Like the wanking is definitely there, it's but condensed. it's, it's yeah. speedy. Right. Yeah. Again, yep. ambassador style. Here's what I can do. Eat shit, you know, <laughs> and we're, we're done. <laughs> so, <laughs> And I'm spent. And, and then we're out. Big, big flourish at the end. And your Van Halen song is complete. So yeah. when we get to one where we got a solid, uh, this part of the solo here, it says is a minute, 10 seconds. Let's go real quick to uh, hold this up for you again. 25 Great Guitar Solos by Eddie Van Halen. This was the book that I had when I was a kid, remember, when I was first starting oh, to learn. Oh, nice. Yeah. By, by John Chappell, Cherry Lane Music. Um, so let's see what 5150 does make the cut here. And as we can see, the solo itself is one, two, three, a little over three pages long yeah. of tablature. So it's it's considerable. And this is uh, what John Chappell has to say. Unlike the solo from Summer Nights, which is another like iconic 5150 song that we, we will probably get to at some point. It's sort of essential. Uh, this solo is right in the pocket harmonically and rhythmically. If you had to take one solo to a desert island, this would be the one. And I remember okay. reading that as a kid and just being like, okay, oh, it's time to pay attention. It's got great blues turns, bars 9 through 11, 22 to 24, extended tapping passages, crazy bar and harmonic stunts, trem-picked passages, rhythm style playing, and that soaring lead style that so beautifully incorporates conventional bends, pull-offs, and hammer-ons. The many different tricks Eddie uses may read like a list, but he connects it all together so fluidly you're never aware of the technique outshining from the music. So, I'm sure you're intrigued. Let's check it out. I, huh? Yeah, this. I mean, that's, that's a high bar to... To set. Exactly. A high whammy bar, if you will. <laughs> Dig it. When you're down low, what that means. No, we don't. <laughs> Ooh.
Okay. Got a crazy rocking, uh, let's fly a jet airplane solo there. Yeah, that's, that is wild stuff because you, th- there's bits and pieces where it's a little like, oh, yeah, that, that reminds me of, uh, that reminds me of uh, Beat It, you mm-hmm. know, a little bit. Mm-hmm. But partly that's just because, like, that's him playing it, you know? Yeah, yeah. You can yeah, kind of see it a mile away. But but it's not aping that stuff either necessarily, is it? It's just like that's, you know, it's it's in the repertoire. Yeah, it's it's the toolbox. It's own animal. Yeah. I think it's so, it's so interesting because at first, I'm assuming there's two guitars at first. That's the... Th- that's one if i had a complaint it would be about the mix and that's why i think they need a remasters because yeah i think he does he's got a rhythm guitar going in the left side as he builds into it yeah and i feel like the solo itself kind of gets buried a little bit i'd love them to push it up a little bit just to yeah especially at at the start right yeah yeah because there's a lot of stuff going on some of that stuff that alex is doing yeah when he starts kicking he gets into the double double kicks again and and they start there's a little bit of back and forth there. Right. And then the constant symbol, you know, the crash sheen that just uh, coats everything like a yeah. lovely gloss, you know, that's the part of the trademark sound, I guess. Right. Um, right. Mm. Whereas if yeah, it's, it's almost like you move him, you split the brothers, mm-hmm. like beat it, but it still sounds like Eddie. Right. But it's almost, it's not, it's, it's definitely not the same as with Alex's drums. And I don't know if that's just because that's what I'm used to hearing or if that's, if there's some sort of heightening, you know, you, you put those two elements together and it, and it accentuates the whateverness of it. Yeah. I think Alex is very good at emphasizing a lot of what his brother is doing as, as far as um, mm-hmm. kind of shadowing him with his fills, that kind of thing that you wouldn't get with a normal, uh, just straightforward beat laying drummer, you know? And you probably, and the thing that I don't, I don't know enough about what either of them has done outside of band, because it seems like if you, it, it would be interesting to, to see them in a studio context where people aren't paying for, the van halen sound but they're paying yeah. for musicians right like, and i'm sure they could i'm sure they could do that you know this is the this is the way we're playing it but it's it's just so hard to picture that you know yeah well especially alex doesn't play with anybody else okay as far as i know i don't think i mean you know, Eddie, yeah. eddie's done a few guest spots here and there and has jammed with people but i think alex only plays with his brother but he's typically playing he's playing himself you know appearing as eddie van halen is eddie van halen on on those things generally, right, right? Right, right. Yeah. Um, I think, okay, so in, in regards to what we're talking about, so we've got our, our favorite new drop, the old uh, EVH drip and drab, right? Yeah. The, the guitar water. So if we listen to that, just that isolated bit, not the isolated guitar, but that one section of the song and mm-hmm. you know, in total, we'll listen to it in a second here. You can hear Alex start aping that sound on the toms. Oh, okay. So you'll if it, and it's just towards the end here, this is just five seconds, but you'll be able to hear it. And I think his drums punctuate everything that Eddie's doing in this kind of way. So let's we'll check it out real quick. So oh yeah, same, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Starting with yeah. starting with the kick and then going all up over the toms and everything. Yeah, and he does that all the time. And when when 
they do have moments of jamming uh, live, which happens occasionally. You can see them communicating that, and and Alex is following his brother. Like I think Eddie tends to lead lead the show. But okay, so I do. I love the outro of that guitar solo too. I think that's uh, another thing for a gallery of, of guitar greatness that we should uh, highlight is just the the phrasing and the finality of uh, this guy here. I mean, yeah. That just sounds good, you know. Like yeah, this solo is the, done. The tempo. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And then I'll give you the outro of the song too. We're going to get a long fade out here and some great background vocals too that just add one more layer to this masterpiece of a song. Let's just we'll hit this real quick. Huge. And again, Alex Van Halen on those fills there. Yeah. Beating the shit out of that Simmons Electro Kid or whatever he's playing. <laughs> Sounds like it, doesn't it? It's funny for a sec there. There, and I, I don't know if this is on purpose, but for me, there's just a little bit of tension on was was Sammy going to hit that note? He sort of scoops up to it a little bit. Like, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh yeah, no, you got it. Okay. All yeah. Right, so we go from 5150. Uh, this is a, a song that for at least the, the first couple tours they did together was like a live highlight. And it's a great example of how a song can change when you play it a whole bunch of times. And these are, you know, they're doing, you know, 120, 140 shows a year, that type of thing. And uh, how you can really kind of settle into a song and figure it out for real. Because it, to my ears, like that guitar solo sounds sort of i'm sure it was practiced but also really uh shooting from the hip you know like he's just he's just blowing you know right so yeah. uh but if you take a song like that and you're gonna do it and they they do the whole thing live the complete version seven minutes or whatever and you've got a solid minute minute and a half to stretch out for your solo then you're gonna have time to figure out how to put all the pieces together so we're gonna watch not the 5150 tour but the one after that the i think second to last set of shows live in tokyo 1989 okay. so we've been playing this song now for two to three years and i think eddie has it figured out my friend okay so yeah, for, now, yeah i think for me this you know occasionally you'll get these uh impeccable performances whether it's you know again hendrix at woodstock or stevie ray at el macambo blown out texas flood like just perfectly where it's just like yeah. what and they and they're not even it's not a conscious thing they're just it's flowing through them right so in my opinion that's what we're going to get here and unfortunately the sound quality is not ideal because this is taken from a video but so we're, we're not going in the way back machine we're not i'm just going to play it for you because okay. we just want to listen to the solo so but check it out i think this is one of the great live guitar performances uh, i've ever heard anyway it's 
there and that just melted my face off. Yeah, that's that's hot stuff. It's so interesting to me, these situations where it's like, you know, and obviously you, you live with the song and you, you tour out as much as they did. Mm-hmm. And being, you know, proficient folks, it's not like, I, mean, I, I in my limited recording experience, there's definitely situations where it's taken lots of studio work to get something palatable that I, I couldn't replicate live. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that Eddie does that, you know, that there's things he's doing in the studio that he's not able to potentially do live. Like I'm, I'm thinking, you know, recording the accordion on don't leave Queens, recording yeah. the left hand, then recording the right hand. Yeah. You know? Right. Right. <laughs> like he doesn't, he Every doesn't piano part of ever played. Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that they, that, that was, that seemed even more high energy driving, whatever you will, than, than the record version. Yeah. Well, you got, and, the, you got that juice of the live performance, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, but not the sloppiness that, that can go with that. I mean, it was. It's immaculate. Super tight. And then I think some of the stuff, and I, I don't, I don't want to take away from Eddie, but I, I was mm-hmm. noticing like towards the end of that solo, I mean, Alex is just. Between the double kick and the. And then just the, the, that ride bell, you know, just. Yeah, yeah exactly. And like the, that they're peaking like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. That's hot stuff. Yeah, I've, this is something that I've I've listened to just this solo innumerable times now mm-hmm. uh, over the past couple of years, and I'm amazed at the sense that it makes. You know, like maybe to some ears it just sounds like the the usual dog and pony show, but mm-hmm. and, and I think you know the speed plays into that. Like it's just a blur going right by you. But you know, listening to it and trying to break it down like piece by piece, these are distinct musical ideas again going seamlessly and then again layering in like every technique that you can do with a guitar right uh, and and then just performed seamlessly i mean i'm I'm curious i think i want to show this to you okay if i can yeah um we're not going to travel through time again i just want to show you the video yeah because i i mean to me the the thing i think about on the first listen is wow this is impressive but also Mm -hmm. And and this is where that matter of eye of the beholder, like what do you actually enjoy comes into play? Cause mm-hmm. yeah, like he's, he's doing all the Eddie things. And I'm like, yep, you can, you can do that. Right. I, <laughs> I don't necessarily care. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's cool, but it's, it doesn't, it doesn't grab me in the same way, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's undeniably fair. impressive, you know? Yeah. I know exactly where you're coming from there. And I, I think that for me anyway, to, to my ears and eyes, I, th- I think the soulfulness that maybe you are looking for is there, but it's just, again, it's, it's in that format. It's just so bam, bam, bam. Here's another thing. Here's another thing. Here's another thing. So I want, and the reason I want to show it to you, because ideally with music, like it should just be the music itself that is impressive. But I do, for me anyway, when I was uh, first getting into his playing, like I, it added a whole other layer by watching what he's actually doing and then looking down at my little guitar and being like, all right, how, wait, what? It doesn't make sense. And then watching, you know, most other guitar players not be able to do that thing and especially not be able to do it with your eyes closed for half of it. You know, that's, it's that same trance type thing that comes with the best players, I guess. So let's, let's, ch- I'll, I'll run the solo for you one more time. Yeah. And we'll watch it. And I'm going to again ask you to look past the fashion. I'll tell you right up front. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm, I'm- 
I could do that. Yeah, he's wearing his red and white Where's Waldo uh, sweater. Uh-huh. And he's got white pants. Uh, Sammy's going to appear in some upsettingly tight uh, bike pants. Oh, nice. Okay. We'll, sh- we'll show you the full Hagar if you're looking for it. So we'll check it out. How, did, how does that does that change your perception of that music you know, it does, at all? It does actually a little bit to see him. I mean, I think it, it is. So there's there's two there's two competing things going on. First of all, like seeing him actually in that like he's working. You know, he is definitely working. Yeah, and it, it's it's definitely a it's definitely a potent thing. It's also a little distracting because I don't know what the word for that thing bands did in the eighties where they ran, you know, like literally like, ran. Yeah. Like, like Michael, Michael Anthony at one point, he's the first guy I noticed start doing it like really exaggerated feet kicking. Like, oh, oh, like running in place is, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Then, then when uh, Sammy and Sammy and, and Eddie are going back and forth on the stage, like, Yes. It's cool. It's cool that he can that they can do that, but there's got to be a name for that. There's there's one uh I don't know how I ended up watching this, but back in the go to the store and get DVDs time. Uh uh-huh, sure. I got this live Huey Lewis one. <laughs> and there's Wait a minute. Well, how did that happen? There's yeah, I don't know, but uh there was uh some some part where one of his guitar players, maybe it's Johnny Cola, I don't mm-hmm. know, I don't remember which one, but you know they've got these like mom jeans and these just glistening white tennis shoes. Yeah, you know, as, oh, yeah. as one did in the eighties, exactly. And it almost reminds me a little bit of the some of the dancing stuff in the Breakfast Club too. I don't I don't know what the common element is with the feet and the movement, but there's my mind draws a thread through those motor patterns. I know exactly what you're talking about. And I, I'm curious, actually, because I think Breakfast Club came out in, what, 1987? Okay. If that's the case, then the move that they do where they're... And I'm going to show you. 
Oh yeah, please. This is the, yep. that thing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That too. I think that comes directly from the 5150 tour, I believe. Oh, that's great. Okay. You can see them. I'll, sh- I'll be showing you at some point here. Mm-hmm. Um, breakfast club, breakfast club, 1985 film. Okay. So maybe actually this influenced the 5150 tour. Maybe they copped it from the breakfast club. Because this is a thing that that they were doing, uh, I think, repeatedly throughout that set in 1986, and I think they even did it in the, like the MTV Music Video Awards. They did a like a remote like satellite link up where they did oh interesting like a 20 minute version of one of their songs or something like that. And I'm sure they're they're doing that dance. I, I, we'll have to look into do some research onto what that choreography is exactly. Like what where does that come from? Yeah, but there's a lot of, uh, and I don't know if it's just, is it because the stages were so big back then or, or what, but, right, yeah. um, you know, you have to, you got to reach the cheap seats, right? That's the old showman motto. Yep. So, well, and, and you definitely have, like, you see the Stones do that sort of thing where Mick is big, exaggerated claps in his billowy, yeah. you know, <laughs> blouse, you know, sideline to sideline. I mean, but when I saw them at uh, Ford Field, mm-hmm. just thinking about the amount of miles he was covering in one show and singing, singing as he was doing it. It was, yeah, it was impressive. It's no, it's no wonder he's so lean, right? He's just a little <laughs> sliver of a dude. He's not an ounce of fat on him. Cause he's running around the bridges of Babylon or whatever. Right. Um, yep. I think when, uh, when I saw the stones, me and Tommy went to see the stones at the, the SARS, SARS of Palooza, the concert for Toronto or whatever. Okay. It was Rolling Stones, ACDC, Rush, Justin Timberlake, got a bunch of bottles of piss thrown at him. Um, <laughs> the Isley Brothers were there, Flaming Lips. It was just like a huge thing. The Blues Brothers band was there with okay. Dan Aykroyd and Jim Belushi, I think. <laughs> but uh, that was 600,000 people there, something, something like that, 500,000 people. Wow. It was huge. It was at like an old airfield or something like that. And we were, by the time the Stones went on, because ACDC just blew everybody away. They ruled a day. It was amazing. Um, so they blew the Stones right off the stage. So by the time the Stones went on, we were towards the back, kind of heading towards the parking lot, I think. And all we could, all I remember seeing of Mick is Mick wearing this enormous, like, I think it had like a train even, like it was so big, enormous purple jacket. That okay. he was just running around from side to side. And all I could see in the distance was just this little purple figure with a little cape billowing behind him going. Vroom, vroom, vroom. And that's that was Mick Jagger. That was the experience of seeing Mick, Mick Jagger live in concert was <laughs> billowing purple <laughs> like a half a mile away. So, oh, you know what? We have to actually, now that, now that we've heard Edward play it a couple times, we have to check in with our future uh, artificially intelligent overlord from Skynet. Oh, good. Yes. Yeah, let's do this. I did want to, you know, play for you because, again, ladies and gentlemen at home listening, we do talk a lot about feel and the feel of the music being performed. And this is why, you know, having heard uh, Eddie play his version, here's what it sounds like when you're just playing the music. uh, No feel, no emotion. It's cold and dead and lifeless. Much like society when Skynet finally takes over. Yeah, exactly. Uh, This is uh, Skynet's version of 
All right, give me those blues, computer. Let's do it. That's close. It's close, right? He's getting there. It's getting you know, there. It's it's wild because that yeah whatever whatever the part where he's hitting those chords up the neck. That's just so super triumphant. Yeah, the uh Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels good. Yeah. There's some triumph there for sure. There really is, yeah. Yeah. So Skynet's coming along, actually. That wasn't as bad as I anticipated. I was still I would choose the original recording. For me personally. So that's just where I'm gonna weigh in on that argument. And otherwise, the only other thing that I I noticed. Uh, during the the process of this recording, actually, is that fifty one fifty the song title is in quotes on the album artwork. So, oh, I, and I couldn't, I, I can't figure out why. What what would your suspicion be? Yeah, was it a was it a placeholder? It seems like you wouldn't have the song title and the album and the studio all be named that as a placeholder. Yeah, I, yeah maybe that was just fifty one. Why scare quotes? Right. Huh. Well, you know what they say, Aaron, 5150. What do right? they say? 5150. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> well, I mean, like, like my old gaffer always used to say, 50 sometimes 5150. Right, right. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's it's just uh, a it, little 5150. It's a mystery, right. <laughs> um, okay, so thus concludes our very thorough examination of the tune 5150. Uh, in summation, I'm, I'm going to come out, you know, this is peak Van Halen. They're ruling the world at this point, 1984, all the way through this period, 1986. I mean, they're a number one in the rock and roll category. Uh, you know, there's so, some radio hits from this record we didn't even talk about. I know, I know. And there's, you know, there's a reason why we're not doing deep dives on the albums. Right. Because they're probably going to come up later, but you do have, what, Best of Both Worlds is on this. Yeah. Dream, Dreams. Dreams. I hadn't, uh, for some reason I didn't, you know, that that was one that was very much in the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. Like once I heard it, I was like, oh yeah, that's a song. Yeah, I right. guess I didn't realize that was Van Halen doing that song. <laughs> yep. But I remember as a, as a kid, that chorus was pretty, I, I don't know if it was associated with a movie or something, but. It I sounds have, a little Top Gunny, right? It does. It's, yeah. Yeah. There's yeah. something pretty pre-transit there well and i think actually it may maybe i'm associating it with top gun because they the music video that they put out for it is footage of like the blue angels cruising around in the sky so maybe that sounds familiar maybe that's what it is um yeah that's a uh a good if not controversial tune amongst edheads because you know if anything is going to sound dated um that would probably be the one okay yep. maybe I, I would suspect but also you've got love walks in power ballad mm-hmm. um the first van halen power ballad on record i believe but also yeah. very successful and uh you know we're seeing a new side of the songwriting capabilities and so I, do you think that sammy i mean not to not to just continually violate rule number one i, th- I think this the but, exceptions can be made for this particular yeah. episode but i don't want to hear episode. about it next time yeah okay okay right yep yep <laughs> let's get get it out of your system now yep <laughs> but doesn't he seem like sammy seems like that guy i almost wonder if the quote 5150 is him as the singer in that song because he's like that guy that's like man 
I'm so crazy. This is so crazy. <laughs> I'm the 5150. Right, right. And then he goes home and, you know, puts on his house slippers and his sweater and opens up the old accounting program and mm-hmm. checks the market and sits you know. on no duels and, yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 5150 here, Sammy Hagar. This is, oh, honey, how was your day? Oh, those. I guess I say those rascals in Van Halen. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, Crazy. Yeah, he's li- he's vicariously fifty one fiftying out through yeah. this song. Yeah. And really, as as we've heard earlier this episode, like that fifty one fiftying was just a lifestyle for for the brothers, and apparently right. Michael yeah. Anthony too was was allowed to be a part of the club. Um, yeah. But if you can imagine Edward, Alex, Michael, and then Donnie Landy just. Mm-hmm having some up all night parties we like to call them yeah i can imagine and, I, and not not that sammy i mean i think he could turn that he could turn that side on like seeing him and eddie with that farm aid you know he's, he's working the crowd that's a huge crowd he, is, and he can do yeah, it definitely he's, definitely seems fifty-one fifty adjacent you know <laughs> Sammy Hagar, also known as the Red Rocker. We didn't talk about that at all, but he likes the color red. He's really into it, and he's attached his ego to it in a big way. So It's a brand. It is. It is. He can have it. Um, <laughs> red's not in my top no, I, three I, I'm colors. No, I'm not the best. I'm not the best in red. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there you have it. Uh, Van Halen switches out lead singers. You're going from basically a professional wrestler to kind of slightly cooler screech powers from Saved by the Bell and Sammy Hagar. Uh, and that's <laughs> that's where we're at with that. So... <laughs> Uh, moving right along, we have a, our next segment of the show we like to do towards the end. We are close to wrapping up some four hours in or wherever we're at now. <laughs> it's a little something we like to call uh, Aaron and Justin's Excellent Adventures. Ted, it's pointless to have a triumphant video before we even have decent instruments. Well, how can we have decent instruments when we don't really even know how to play? That is why we need Eddie Van Halen. And that is why we need a triumphant video. Excellent! Okay, so today's excellent adventure comes to us courtesy of Dweezil Zappa's blog. That's right. The son of Frank Zappa has got a uh, Van Halen story to share with us. So this is from his blog, uh, December 16th, 2009 on DweezilZappa.com. And he's talking about the history of uh, guitars that he owns. So one of them is kind of shaped like a, like a star. It was a popular design in the early to mid-1980s. Uh, so this is the Van Halen star guitar. Now, just just for a little bit of context, there's yeah. one of the Zappa kids that I, th- I think there may have even been a lawsuit involved as far as performing their dad's music, but... There's one oh. who said he was the only one that actually had the technical ability to execute the music. Like, I'm going to guess that's Dweezil. Yeah. Okay. That was that was my thought too. He's he's the one that's the maybe not. I mean, I, I don't I don't know enough about it to guess too much. But he's he's the one that's the most technically inclined. Yeah, he's very good. He's 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 excellent as a player, and he did okay. do. You're right. He did do a tour called Zappa Plays Zappa, where he was doing all of Frank's greatest hits. I guess um, I am not a huge Zappa fan myself. I do like his guitar playing. He's an amazing mm-hmm. guitar player, but uh, I can't. I mean, it's just dirty hippie shit, Aaron. I can't do yeah, it. Yeah, I've I've never 
I feel like I need I need someone to curate something for me to help me get in the door there because I, I it's I feel like I've walked up to it a couple of times mm-hmm. you know looked at it mm-hmm. poked my head in sniffed around too much patchouli or whatever right you're like Joe's yeah, garage like, is not for me I got to get out do and get away from people love this. Frank Zappa and talk about him as a as a player and everything else but yeah. I just it's it's hard to hard to get in there for me it seems a little too. Uh sarcastic you know it's like it's hard to to take it seriously when yeah, there's right. always a, a veneer of um bitterness i think right <laughs> so, like I, i'm not sure but not like not in a, in in a way i can identify with like elvis costello you know like there it's appreciated there it's accurate yeah. it's not bitter it's just accurate yes. you know oh, that's true it's yeah. like licking a battery and you're like oh yeah that hurts good Gosh, i love i love me some elvis costello too oh sure those early years anyway yeah so dweezil zappa are you ready for this yes so we're talking van halen's star guitar owned by mr dweezil zappa here's what he's got to say about it this guitar comes with a great story picture this if you will it's 1982 and the biggest rock band in the world is van halen i was 12 years old and had only been playing guitar for nine months eruption and the mean streets intro were on a constant loop in my head I was signed up to play at my school talent show. It was coming up in a week. I was going to play Runnin' with the Devil with my little teenage rocking combo. In the days before the show, we received a phone call at our house from a guy claiming to be Edward Van Halen. My mom answered the phone and talked with him for a bit. She whispered to me, This guy says he's Eddie Van Halen. Pick up the other phone and listen to see if you think it really is. Of course, I jumped for the other phone extension and quietly picked it up. I heard a gritty voice on the other end talking about wanting to come over and meet Frank Zappa. I had no reference of the sound of Edward Van Halen's voice except for the possible long-shot audio clip from Unchained, where a voice is heard saying, Come on, Dave, give us a break. I thought maybe that was Edward's voice, or maybe it was Ted Templeman's voice. It didn't matter. I wanted it to be Edward Van Halen, so I said to Gail, It's him. It has to be him. Frank picked up the phone and talked for a short time. He hung up the phone saying, Okay, I'll see you in a few minutes. 20 minutes later, Edward Van Halen was at our house. He had a new guitar with him, a purple Kramer with a piece of tape covering the logo. Frank called Steve Vai and asked him to come over. What followed was the coolest night a 12-year-old guitar player could ever imagine, or perhaps any guitar player. Edward Van Halen, Steve Vai, and Frank Zappa all passed around this new purple guitar. Occasionally, I would fumble around on it as well. Many things were played and discussed. It was amazing. Of course, I asked Edward to play Mean Streets in Eruption. He did, and I got to watch it up close. The techniques he employed were burned into my brain forever. This jam session discussion went on into the wee hours of the morning, somewhere around 3 a.m. I had a Little League baseball game at 7 a.m. Even though I had pitched a no-hitter the week before, I knew that night that baseball was no longer that important to me. (laughs) Anyway, getting back to the star guitar... On the day of the talent show, I was heading to my sound check. We got another call from Edward. It was mentioned that I was playing Runnin' with the Devil at my school talent show. He actually decided he wanted to see that. He came to the sound check at my school. That was insane. Kids found out and bolted out of class to see if it was true. He was a superhero, and he was right there at school. While I was playing, two things happened. First, he corrected a wrong chord that I was playing. He stood behind me and actually played the guitar while it was around my neck and showed me what I was doing wrong. Then he said, Ah, this guitar won't stay in tune. Let me get you another one. He drove home and came back with the star guitar you see above. So, 
picture yourself, Aaron Bales. I mean, can you imagine? I cannot. (laughs) Like, even if you're living in that world and it's somewhat like you're somewhat used to that. Yeah, that still would be, that'd be wild. It is. Yeah, it is kind of funny knowing that, you know, Dweezil's dad is Frank Zappa. He's, he lives with Frank Zappa. Yeah. He is a Zappa, right? Yeah. And, uh, but he's still really, he's, he can still be a fan, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He's still geeked about, about hanging with Eddie and yeah, yeah you throw Steve, Steve I in there too. I mean, mm-hmm. that's like, if you're, if you're into that sort of thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. Right. If you're, if you're a guitar nerd, I mean, yeah. that's everything. And so I think it's the similar to Wolfgang is known as a uh, sort of like a heavier rocker, you know, like he's more Pantera tool kind of guy but you're the son of eddie van halen too yeah yeah um speaking of which real quick i did want to ask you when are you replacing the current lineup of flatfoot with your two sons uh they have to achieve minimum competence on some instrument and show interest in doing so oh oh, okay okay so i think the seat seats are going to be kept warm for for a while Okay. All right. You know, Just wanted to check. I, I mean, I know you've got a plan. If I know you, you're always thinking. <laughs> if, you, if you know me, it's you know, they, they don't call me Aaron Schemer Bales for nothing. <laughs> exactly. Schemer from Shining Time Station. That's you. Oh, what's that? Oh, it's Shining Time Station. That's where Thomas the Tank Engine comes from. <laughs> and... Uh, and you'll recall that was hosted by first Mr. A very drunken Ringo star. And then also, uh, George Carlin were the, oh, I uh, forgot. yes, it was, wasn't it? And then schemer was this scheming fellow who would come in and was always trying to like bankrupt the train station or something like that. Everyone was like, always just like schemer, get out of here. Schemer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he had like slick back hair and like bad uh you know like saul goodman outfits that kind of thing (laughs) schemer that's you schemer old schemer himself there he is all right this has been another aaron and justin's excellent adventure no it was just that you look remarkably like eddie van halen i just saw eddie van halen no really yeah Wow. Where? The Hollywood Bowl. And how was it? He's a zombie. (laughs) 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 All right, buddy. Well, it's been a very long show, but uh, how do you feel about what we've just learned about? Do you feel more enlightened? I I was given some homework. Yes. And is it homework time yet? So I was thinking, you know, you've been a very good listener throughout this entire, this is now episode four of our little program here. And it's episode four, an hour four of our little program here. <laughs> and you've been a real sport about it, uh, letting me talk about my little guitar hero. And I'm really enjoying that process. I, I'm, I'm glad to hear it because I have so much more for you. But, yeah. you know, so so for the folks at home, next, next episode, we're going to take a little break from the rewriting of the narrative historically. And we're going to talk about uh, something that Aaron brought to my attention a couple of years ago during during our sabbatical from doing the show. But I did want to offer you uh, the opportunity to, you know, give me a topic to research and kind of justify to your specifications. Uh, so do, do you have any homework for yeah, me so, that I can do? You know, what, what do you is, think? And there's no, I'm really enjoying, I mean, you have, you have so many great clips and thoughts and I'd be, I'd be happy just to, 
you know, allow you to keep driving. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. If in, in your collecting, I would be interested to see Eddie outside of the context of Van Halen. Okay. Whether it's okay. playing with other people, guesting with other people. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't know if there's solo sort of stuff, but I, I'm curious about him, you know, without Alex, mm -hmm. without the lead singer, without the, the driving bass and sweet harmonies of Michael Anthony or mm -hmm. Wolfgang or whoever else. Mm -hmm. Does Wolfgang sing? He does sing. Yeah. Does he, does he have the sweet harmonies like M.A.? I feel like, well, it's, it's hard to touch M.A.'s range, I think, but he does yeah. uh, an admirable job from, okay. from what he's, I can tell. He's competent. Yeah, Good. no doubt. No doubt. So yeah, that would be, that would be a, something I'd be interested to. That's great. Okay. To, this is, to get a little taste of is. Yeah. I know just where to go with this and you're going to actually get a taste of it. Uh, a little bit of it. I'll just give you a little, a little teaser in the next episode where we're going to be talking about a little something you and I like to call the blues. Okay. You, Aaron Bales, you once told me that, you know, what's up with Eddie Van Halen? He never plays those blues. And I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> Eddie Van Halen knows the blues. And I'm going to play some, some of Eddie's blues for you. So we're going to learn all about Edward and the blues. And he does some blues jamming with uh, fellow <laughs> blues guitar luminary, Brian May from Queen, Professor Brian May. Yeah, that'll be interesting because he's Brian May is another one of those dudes where a great player, but I would like I would not be putting him in uh, John Mayo's Blues Breakers or something no. necessarily. <laughs> you know, no, like, man, that's the whole thing. I mean, like they're totally overqualified to do this, but they yeah. th it's not going to stop them from doing it, and they've done it. Yeah. And okay, so we're going to check it out, and that so that will be the next episode. I, if, uh, if if nothing else, that promises to be acrobatic. Yeah, I think you're going to hear. Well, I mean, get ready for a lot of blues chat. We're gonna—I need you to put your blues hat on, and we're gonna talk okay. some blues next time. So, just uh, do do I get the pork pie or what? What am you I? You can have the pork pie if you want. I want <laughs> one where where the feather's a little bit bigger. Okay, so, you know, so maybe a little wider brim, bigger feather. I'm gonna—I'd say I want to do like—I don't know if he still does it, but uh, Kim Wilson from the Fabulous Thunderbirds. Okay, at, at least he used to wear a turban. Like that was his. That was his sort of visual shtick as he would he he would perform in a turban. I don't know how much, but you know, it's one of those things that I, I feel like knowing what I know now about cultural appropriation, I don't I yeah. wouldn't feel as comfortable performing in a turban. Okay. But, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. That's 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 definitely that's definitely a look right there. Well, how do we feel about uh Stephen Ray playing in a kimono for most of his career? Is that a, does that count? I don't, you know, I wonder, I think, I think there is, there's some context to some of those things where. I feel like if, you know, if you're a hot shit guitar player, you can kind of do whatever you want, but that's just me. That's just yeah. me. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. And is, is it an actual kimono or is it just sort of that style? Like, oh, like a fashion kimono. Yeah. Like where does a, where does a trench coat without pockets made of fancy fabric stop and a kimono begin? Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> yeah. Like, like if I just have a trench coat without a belt, collar, pockets, and it's made of beautiful silk fabric. Yeah. You know. You'd be a fancy Columbo. One man's kimono is another man's. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You know, it took me about, I don't know, I'd say 
seven to nine seconds to realize and I was just racking my brain about Stephen Ray. Like, I don't oh. even know who this guy is. Like, <laughs> does he mean Stephen Wright, the comedian? No, Stephen Ray, what band? Is that some Prague guy? Was he in Yes? With, yeah, oh, well, there's a, Steve yeah right, right. So Robert Fripp and Stephen Ray <laughs> did uh, Court of the King, Crimson King. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so get get your blues in order over there okay, is what I'm gonna I say. Will. I will, and we'll, I'm gonna hit you with some with some hot licks, man. You're gonna feel it, uh, hopefully, if all goes according to plan. Aaron Bales, fucking great job to you, buddy. Oh, and you too, Justin. Congratulations. Thanks so much. And you know who we should really be uh, highlighting? Edward Van Halen. Let's give it up yeah. for him. Well yeah. done, Eddie. Congrats, congrats, oh you, Edward. You're still the best, Ed. And uh, Wolfie, also give us a call. By the way, we're still re- uh, ready and raring to go. Hey. Yeah, I don't, yeah. Travel's not what it what it once was, but it will return. So when when the virus is gone and everything, me and Aaron, we can pop on down to fifty one fifty studios, and you can show us around, and uh, we'll we'll have a great old time. All right. Well, big thumbs up. Yeah, buddy. Big thumbs ECW up to you. Press. You know what they say? Fifty one fifty. Yeah. And, well, uh, <laughs> you know what else they say? Detroit, you're number one. A A Rock, you're number one too. But right now we're going to go back to the stage and see what else we're going to see.